Hello there, it's Oliver Callan here and welcome to our weekly podcast. It's a compilation of our best interviews from the last week. On Monday's show, Limerick man CJ McCarthy chatted about his new book that takes a humorous look back at 1970s Ireland in The Devil Wears Farah. Mother and daughter Emma and Zoe Mulvey came into studio to join us. Zoe has had to overcome many health challenges throughout her life, but it hasn't stopped her from pursuing her current passion, power boating. The Valley of the Squinting Windows is an adaptation of Brinsley McNamara's book that was banned and burned in Westmeath over a century ago. Director Michael Scott and Mary Weldon, the daughter-in-law of the writer, tells us all about the play at the Gaiety Theatre happening this November. Catherine Ryan Howard is the international best-selling author of 56 Days and The Nothing Man. The Trap is her new disturbing psychological thriller focusing on a series of unsolved disappearances. It's going to be a huge hit and she's great fun too. And on Friday's show, Baz Black is an actor and director from Drogheda. His debut feature film hits the cinemas in September and he came in to tell us how he made it happen. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy. Now we're off to Limerick City this morning. Our guest standing by down there has written what's been described as a love letter to Limerick. It's certainly not the misery literature that we might have been used to once upon a time down there. It's a feel-good read about the past when Farrah trousers became the iconic pants of the 70s. It has a very catchy title, The Devil Wears Prada. Oh, sorry, The Devil Wears Farrah for obvious reasons that that, so that slipped. The Devil Wears Farrah is by C.J. McCarthy. Good morning to you, C.J. Good morning, Oliver. How are you? Not so bad. Are you in good form? I'm top form, thanks. Thank I, I think... Having looked at this, you you seem like a fellow who might be constantly in good form. Oh, look, I'd like to think I'm 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 more up than down. Anyway, I'm a glass half full kind of a fellow. You I'd know? love to hear it. Listen, I'm going to get into the era that you capture so colourfully in the book in a minute. But but your years and, and that's all about your years acting the flute. Uh, but, <laughs> but let's begin by asking why why you wanted to do this. Ah, look, uh, Oliver, it's it's just the kind of the time that we're in. Um, you know, that, that um, our parents' generation is all kind of slipping away now. They're all kind of, there's very few of them left. And I, I, I kind of just wanted to kind of have a look back, one last look before they kind of slip into the fog and the forgetfulness. And I wanted one last look myself while I could remember, while I'm still young enough yeah. to remember what it was like and just get a last kind of snapshot because I wanted to do it anyway. I've, I've come to the conclusion in the last couple of years that I think we're, I think we've been a bit hard on that generation, more mm. than a bit hard actually. And what uh, generation are we talking about specifically? What I you? would be, well, my, both my parents were, were born in the 30s. So, yeah. so, so, and my mother died last year at the age of 90. And that kind of, I've been thinking about it anyway, and I've been working on it kind of through COVID. And I just decided, you know, so I'm going to try and kind of get a, a snapshot of that. And also, you referenced it there in the, in the, in the very, generous uh, build up to me mm. but where you said that kind of you know we, we, we've been kind of wallowing in misery about that a little bit we're kind of looking back in loathing and looking back in anger and I'm not I, I, I think that's a bit unfair to be yeah. honest you know Well it's the balance of light and shade and you're very much the light aren't it? because it was a long time we sort of denied a certain reckoning with the past and we had to have we had to go through that procedure but you're also going reminding that it, it wasn't entirely a dark past Yeah well it's it's just that thing like I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea that like being judgmental is the absolute mortal sin though you can't be judgmental about anything yeah, or anybody yeah. and rightly so but 
you know, in the same cultural breadth. We never stop being judgmental about them and their Ireland and their society. To a certain extent, I think sometimes we've done that to kind of big ourselves up, if yes. that makes sense. Yes, no, that it, does, kind of, it does, entirely does. That yeah. we, you know what I mean? Look how far we've come compared to those, that <laughs> crowd, you know what I mean? That crowd, they held us back. Yeah, that psychological <laughs> pre primates, these, 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 you know what I mean? These emotional Jurassic people right behind us. Mm. Uh, and we kind of big ourselves up. And, and I came to the conclusion a long time ago, you know, they weren't that bad and we're certainly not that good. But, mm. I, but I didn't want to do it in some kind of lecturing, sanctimonious kind of, you know, we've, we've had kind of, in my, in my really kind of basic uh, 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 feeling, we've had too much of that. So, you know, and, and even if we were wronged and if people were marginalised and wronged, the best revenge for that is laughter. So just one, let's, ha- let's have a look back and have a laugh if we can. Yeah, so you, you've done it through the, the the medium of crack, basically, haven't yeah, you? And it, yeah. uh, you've made your point uh, beautifully. And I'm sorry to hear that you lost your mum last year, you, but you've done her a great turn here, yeah. uh, a gas character. And Actually. she's very much the hero of these opening chapters. And I'm interested in why you think they, they are a heroic generation. Well, I, you see, they wouldn't. I'm, 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 they wouldn't even have regarded themselves in anything as kind of grandiose as that. Like I, I, I was just. I, I talked to my. We, we, the way I talked to my sisters uh, about um, the, 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 the ones that have gone or have died, a, a, as if they've stepped out of the room. So we talk about them in the present tense, like a lot yeah. of people do. And I, she was just so funny and so warm. Uh, and and kind of like inclusive, but inclusive not where that's an ideology, but just good manners. <laughs> Do you know? Kind of, it wasn't a, it wasn't a big it wasn't a big presentation. She just thought it was good manners and good form to include people at the at the out at the outermost of of any group. So she'd go out of her way, and then she was she was you know these kind of people who's like naturally hilarious, but completely. Un- unconscious of the fact that they're hilarious. Yes, I know the ones, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and kind of was always laughing and was always looking for a reason to laugh. And and uh, they, they were, he was a bit more serious, though, to be honest, but every, everybody was a bit more serious than her. But Your father? Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. kind of, not, not, grim is the wrong word, but kind of, <laughs> you know what I mean, kind of serious kind of cork guy, serious kind of man, you know, kind of, no, funny and like they, they, they were, they were, they were, uh, they were obviously not incompatible, but the, he, she was, she would have been the one. She was the kind of, she was the heartbeat of the operation. All, yeah. it, all the kind of, all the domestic drama or melodrama or all the little domestic that was her realm. And 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 fairness to him, I think like a lot of families in that time, he he ceded that to her. Yes. Anything that anything that happened within the family was her domain. She <laughs> made the calls. How did she make people laugh? I just kind of like she'd listen to them, you know, just listen to them and laugh. I mean, for somebody like you, a comedian like you, Mm. she'd have been the perfect audience. She laughed uproariously at the exact time. And people fed off that then. People would people would open up more and you know, people would open up more. So like she'd like I mean, geez, I don't know how many times I'd like they I'd I'd be walking up to the door of the house and I'd hear them all my mates all laughing it up with her inside. And as soon as you came through the door, the laughter died. And then you realised they were actually laughing at you. Like yeah. I, you were her own she was she was conducting the the, yes. the, the chorus, you know, uh, uh, of laughter at her own children. But yeah. like she just it was all about Make relax, make people relaxed. You know, relax them and let's have a laugh. And nothing too heavy. 
and kind of you know if 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 maybe that's I don't know whether that's maybe that could be a flaw. I People know would say that's abs- a flaw. Absolutely, because there there is kind of um, affectionate slagging of you and the size of your head by she, your own mother. She act I never, but she did that to us all. She told me one time I never forgot it. You know, a self conscious yeah. teenage boy. She said, she said I'd head like a peanut because <laughs> because my my frame was too big for my head. And do you know, I just I I even know when I look at myself in a mirror, I think you know what I mean. She probably is right, but <laughs> but I but I but you couldn't. You just I just laughed. Even at the time, I laughed. Yeah. I mean, it, it's you know I'd, I'd love to be able to say it seared me to, to to my soul, but I'm actually not that deep. I I don't I I can't I, like I'm as glib as she is. I think I'm actually proud of the fact that I'm as superficial and glib as she is. I love that actually. I like yeah. that. Yeah, no, there's certainly no superficial. There's depth here, but you're you're using comedy, and it's the best way to tell the truth sometimes in comedy because it's hidden in there yeah. and that's part of the laugh because uh, you're, you're, McCarthy obviously CJ McCarthy McCarthy very very Cork name for yeah. a man in Limerick yeah. and uh, there's an interesting background there isn't there you just kind of skirt mentioned very briefly in the book about your, your grandfather uh, Dan yeah so uh, he was he had he was kind of a uh, kind of a 1920s kind of Republican and yeah. uh, he had been he had been he had been in in in, in, in prison uh, he was in Cork jail I think actually by the free state I think I'm not sure it was the British I think it was the free state yeah um, and his wife my grandmother was in Cork jail and Kilmainham so they were they were they were you know that kind of on I, the tour I, of yeah the they had they had strong views on the national question that kind <laughs> of in the old the old euphemism yeah. but but very no you know, would be Fianna Fáil, but like to the core Fianna Fáil. Mm. And um, I think Dan had a rough time in prison or something. And, and anyway, for, between the happening and the skip and the, I, 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 there was, you know, I, I, there was a shooting accident. Uh, we were never told, but I kind of put the pieces together when I was quite young and, and I decided that maybe, possibly, it had pro- probably been a, been a suicide. But we never spoke about that. And I, my, wow. my father, you know, was, it was very, very, very much a kind of a, you know, years, decades, 30, 40 years later, he'd, he'd, he couldn't talk about it because he was, I think, about seven or eight when it happened. And Go away. Yeah, but, you know, that kind of, kind of you, you'd pick up on something. You wouldn't know yeah. exactly what, but you picked up on something and, it, you know, it, 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 it might have damaged him. But it, it, I don't think, I, I, as I say, we never talked about it at home. It yeah. was always kind of a, if, we, if it was mentioned, it was a kind of a shooting accident. And, um, but I think in retrospect, looking back, but as I say, we, 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 you know, it wasn't as if it seared us. It wasn't as if it kind of left any kind of imprint on us. We, we all got past it. And thanks be to God. Well, I mean, you've touched on that dark history that's there and the things we were once afraid to talk about. But thankfully, we are in a, in a brighter place where people can talk about their, their mental illness a little bit more openly. And, and, and that's what you're, you're sort of talking about, you know, that there is a... Uh, we've had a bit of a reckoning, haven't we? Yeah, I think, look, it, it, look, this is... I, I, I'd love to be able... I'd love to be the kind of person who did some kind of searing existentialist, you know in-depth drop-down of the, of the Irish psyche. I can't, Oliver, that's not me. <laughs> that's I'm okay. just, you know what I mean? I, <laughs> that's I, all right. Like, I, I, so it's, so the way I kind of, the way I look, I, I just think like, in many ways, we, we got to get past ourselves, get over ourselves mm. a little bit. Just kind of like, where we can have a laugh because yeah. the, it's the most valuable thing. And, and It's the therapy, isn't it? It's the therapy. And I, see, I want to bring you to, because there was a text come in here saying, my first pair of Farah trousers was for an apprentice cocktail barman job in Dublin Airport. 
passport in 1976, says Dave from Rush. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the devil wearing Farah, in your case, it means the school uniforms, doesn't it, of yeah, the 70s? Yeah, this is your yeah. era now. Well, yeah. And uh, it's a big moment in a, in a boy's life when, well, the, when the pants arrive. Yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the Irish bar mitzvah, really, was, was <laughs> getting the, your first pair of Farah pants. You kind of got them when you went into secondary school, certainly around here anyway. So around here, a lot of the lads around here would have gone to the... Uh, would have gone to the CBS Sexton Street, which is a huge Christian Brothers school up up in up in Limerick, and it was kind of like your dad or your man bought you into a shop, Moran's maybe, and you got a pair of Farah slacks, and you got a you might get a pair of brogues or loafers, or but it was a kind of rite of passage. Yeah. And uh, the little there was a little yellow tag. People, I think there was a factory up in Kilchiman Mayo that made them, but there was a little yellow tag mm-hmm. on the arse of them that was kind of our red tag. It was our <laughs> Levi red tag. It yeah. was kind of so everybody kind of wore far slacks. They were called slacks, actually, yeah, I think, yeah, at yeah. the time. And and I, I often thought, I, the moment I, the moment I, years, whenever time that the devil wears Prada came out, I started thinking about this kind of like this Irish schoolboy version of it, um, The Devil Wears Farah. And uh, so that, that chapter is actually is, a, is about secondary school. Yeah. And, it's, and tell us about Brother McSorley. Brother McSorley was, 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 uh, was, he was the science teacher uh, and he was the woodwork teacher. And um, he was the guy, I, we went to, I, you know the way, like the first day in the science lab in secondary school, you just think, God, this is, this is NASA. This is big time. This is Cape Canaveral. We're going into a science lab. It was just, and we all rambled through the door and uh, your man threw a bits off cuts of timber and made us write down, uh, made us write down our names, uh, our girlfriend's names, Man United, our magic, Slade, our magic. He had all the patter, he had all the little things mm. and then screeched at us at the end that now that we'd done it on the timber, we weren't to do it on his desks. <laughs> and it the was, good system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all just, it was all, no, no, you know, again, the brothers, kind of a fraught subject, Oliver, because a lot yeah. of people were very traumatised by, by the brothers. Mm. Uh, they were a tough, they were a rough, tough bunch. But you got, on a crazy grudging level, Level. The ability to write the, the English that I my ability to write halfway decent English comes directly from them. Yeah, you know, there's no. I mean, like I, I, I've got to, I've got to acknowledge that they were, they were kind of, you know, whether through terror, whether through a kind of cold sweat uh, terror, but they, they, they taught you how to write that yeah. semi-formal English. Like, I mean, if I, if I, if, you know, if, if any claims officer ever writes a cheeky letter to me, I can write back to him in that kind of English that makes them back off yes. very quickly, you know? It's the balance is what it's you, the is balance. What you're it's about. the balance. It's the balance in history. Yeah. Uh, now, food is a particular um, topic you get into a good bit in this, in this book. Uh, but distinctly and particularly 1970s salad. Yeah, well, well, we didn't call it this. We didn't call it salad we call no. in uh, down here we called it cold tea yes uh, in cork they called it cold tea actually if there's one the, the probably the most the deepest question that i go into is in, in this whole book is what the hell happened salad cream it was it was there one minute <laughs> it was all over the place one minute and then it like disappeared for 40 years and then reappeared it was like bobby ewing's shower scene it was yeah. it just like dropped out for about 40 years um, so so it is but it is kind of around I'm a fan of salad cream yeah I, I didn't I, <laughs> but I, I know what you I, mean I, I, I went to redress scheme I had yeah. nothing to put on my scallions for 40 yeah. years I didn't like mayonnaise there was no salad cream but look you know the Irish I want I'll, I'll be taking it up at the highest levels at but, some stage but Heinz vegetable salad 
that's, yeah, is that still that a thing? was, you know, like I'll be honest, like that. That's where my that's where the rose tinted specks come off for me. The, the highs, <laughs> this is finally the dark history uh, of Ireland. Geez, I mean, like, like you know, pe- people would be hearing that now and experiencing a retching kind of in their throat. It was I don't know how to. Is it still there? It was kind of like, it was, I mean, can I be sued for saying this? It was like you know what's Heinz forty forty varieties of it was like forty varieties of cold vomit. I mean, it was absolutely <laughs> really inedible. Was. And every it was and out it of was, a tin. Yeah, it was out of a tin, and you had to kind of you know you you put a, a, a spoon in and then kind of got your thumb thumbed it off the spoon onto the corner of the plate mm. beside your hum or your spam or your corned beef and your scallion and your half a green boiled egg and your half a tomato like it was a really kind of an odd you see in fairness to them in fairness nobody in Ireland I'd say had ever seen a proper salad <laughs> yes, it was a kind no of a, you were you were, you know what I mean it was like it was like you were you were you were you were going inside to try and recreate something that you'd never seen yeah and there was always spuds in it as well isn't there, there was always spuds yeah yeah, but it, uh, I love the fact that you uh, highlight the fact that the, Brian's, the bronze to Iron Age progression from tinned vegetable salad to edible coleslaw, that you put the kind of, once the coleslaw arrived, that was the arrival of modernity uh, oh, yeah. to Ireland. But we had the deep longing for it, didn't we? I mean, the, the coleslaw, we've never, I, I think for it's modernity the same. For modernity is what I mean, but well, yeah, by all means, coleslaw, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 I think it's the same blob of coleslaw that's just going from plate to plate. I've, ne- I've never eaten, anyway, it doesn't, but uh, yeah, the majority of the consumers, of, we, we, yeah, but sure, we 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 did. But I mean, it kind of came in fits and starts. Like I, I I say it, and I say this in the book. I remember going to my cousins in Dublin, and like actually, when they turned on the TV in the middle of the day, and the picture <laughs> came on, it was like you know, it was it was actually you know, it was life changing. And then they pressed another button, and another channel came on, and you were just literally transfixed looking at this. Like consumerism, like peace, came dropping slowly. There was no one moment. Like people, people, people talk about the you know nineteen ninety the the election of Mary Robinson. Like I, the biggest thing that happened to me in 1990 was garlic chips. I, I, I thought, like, <laughs> you were ahead of your time. Yeah, I mean, can you believe, like, you know, <laughs> chips and garlic and cheese? Like, who, who, where's this been? You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. so it was, it was. There was all these, there was, there was all these kinds of things all coming slowly, and. In fairness to us, I think I think we've we've kind of we've kind of handled it as we've kind of handled it well. We mm. the, the the change, Oliver. When you think about, I'd be young for the fifteen now, yeah, and. Um, I'd be I, like he'd be asking me about it. He'd be asking me about his grandparents or whatever, or how you know how did when we went out when he was age, how do we keep in touch? Because they're addicted, they're welded yeah. to their phones. No idea how it yeah. would have happened. Yeah. And you're, I start explaining to him, uh, you know, and then you like about let's say 1979, and you just look at his eyes and you realise you might as well be talking about 1879. He actually, it's not that he doesn't want to, he can't comprehend. <laughs> What I, what you're talking about? He can't. The idea, let's say, of 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 some gen, general feeling that we'd meet in a bar at such and such a time, and if you weren't, if you were late, that the lads would leave a message behind the bar and you'd follow them on. That is actually beyond his comprehension. So, yeah. I, I I've come to the conclusion that we've actually changed more in forty years than in the one hundred and forty years before it. Most of it is good. The vast majority of it is good. But I, I feel that we've got to get to a place where we don't need to kind of pat ourselves on the back for the progress we've made at the expense 
of our of our parents or grandparents. Yes, like, yeah, we, yeah. We, sh- we, we we should be we should be kind of mature and big enough at this stage to say, well, yeah, we we'd have made it in fits and starts anyway. There's no need to constantly, you know, judge them retrospectively. We may not want to go back there, but um, we well, we sort of we can congratulate them for getting through it. Maybe yeah, and, yeah, and did, we can yeah. laugh at it. And I said, I, I'm really fascinated about the the bit where you're talking about families around Limerick and Clare driving up to Shannon yeah. to kind of get a glimpse of the future. Well, that's uh, I, I, we used to, I, as you as I say in the book, my, myself and uh, my my dad and my brother God, we go to the, the three of us we went every summer and every holiday we we to work like so we 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 had just we, he had a small fruit and vegetable run out in, out in East Clare and you come back through Quinn, let's say, or Kilkishan and, and the lads around here, you know, the lad people in Clare or North Limerick, as I like to call it, would, would, <laughs> would, 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 would all be we'd be, we'd come back in, let's say, through Six Mile Bridge and Cratlow and. And it was all I can remember now, and it's it, that inky, inky, black rural darkness. Do you remember that kind yeah, of real yeah. absolute darkness, yeah, pitch really. darkness? Yeah. And then away, maybe about 10 miles away to the west, there was this little constellation of lights. And we'd kind of stop talking and look over at it. And it kind of, it's a crazy, I, and I remember years later thinking, it was like this signal fire in, in, in Robinson Crusoe. Or, or something like that. It was like the, you know, the fire at the highest point of the mountain. Mm. That that so passing ships would see it and realise that these people were were marooned. That there was somebody kind of marooned on the island, and that's what, in a crazy way, Shannon Airport was was a signal fire to the rest of the world that we were here and to come and get us, and then and then to us to reassure us that. If we just headed towards those lights and went through those lights, that there was a whole wider world the other side of those lights. And people did, Oliver. Like, it's difficult to, as again, it's difficult to kind of explain that you could come from, let's say, Quinn and go through those lights in Shannon Airport and come out in Queens. And, like, in in a matter of a day, 24 hours, you went from East Clare or Limerick where, where nothing had changed, yeah. where, where as it was in the beginning, ever shall be worlds without end. Nothing had changed. Did people and really go in and into the airport for the practice? We did. To ride we, the, the, we li- the lift. Did. We did. We <laughs> did. We, I mean, literally, I, you know what I mean? The Toblerones like girders, the chefs with proper chef's hats, the kind of, you know, the whole, the whole intoxicating modernism of it. Absolute, like modernity. Real, like you actually, you just, you kind of went into the airport and you thought, She's like, this is an airport and that plane is going to New York or it's going to Frankfurt or London or something like that. So it was, it was, it, 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 it provided a kind of a, I don't know how, escape hatch is the wrong word, mm. but but a porthole to someplace much more exotic and technicolor and 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 uh, and and modern and alive and exciting that, that that was that was probably unfair but maybe i think that's how no i think that's, that's absolutely fair enough but it, it, again it's a kind of a period of history that you're capturing so well with the comedy crack there's loads and loads of messages here i want to come to them cj only last friday myself and my 65 year old friends were reminiscing we described the dowdy guy in the gang as Farah slacks says Rita. <laughs> so it was it was a derogatory term to be this Farah slacks was obviously referenced that way um, it's uh, 
I thought you were going to say something there, CJ. Still laughing, reading the book. Brings back memories, forgotten. Great stuff, says Brian O'Donoghue. He's in, in Limerick. It's a big supporter yeah. for you there. Yeah. Someone that isn't, I worked for two months for Farah in London in the 70s as a stock-controlled clerk. Used to bring, uh, used to get the cut-price slacks for the partner who's now her husband of 40-plus years and I was saving up to travel overland to India, says Nora in Calester. I mean, Farah, who knew that Farah was such a, a yardstick against which all of Irish history could be measured? Um, and apparently someone, Farah says, Farah is an American-owned company originating in El Paso in Texas. They had two production factories in Galway and Kilchama, which yeah. both closed in the 90s. So that's Jay, that Oliver, 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 Kilchama's in Mayo. <laughs> Quickly, get in there. <laughs> and uh, someone said, I'd totally forgotten the trauma of tinned vegetable salad, retching and laughing my head off. <laughs> Thanks for the memory, says Liz. And she, question, question, but she's thank you for the memory. Uh, I think retching and laughing her head off are, uh, is the perfect way to view Irish history, actually. That's, that's, that's yeah, the balance. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, so, look, but as I say, uh, as, as I say, it's not, I'm not the person to look for, for the definitive. I'm just giving people <laughs> my take and, and, and it's as glib and superficial as I am. I, I, t- I can't stress that enough. You know what I mean? If, yeah, you, yeah, want yeah. To, if you want to laugh and it just to kind of a quick laugh that's not going to change your life that's not going to you know throw up any incredible questions bar what happened to salad uh, salad cream <laughs> I'm your man yeah. I, 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 that's it and, and don't forget Heinz sandwich spread says Anya which oh, is man, I salmon think still spread. get that that's in the book that's in that, a jar as well that is in the book I really resent it and I actually told I told I told my mother at one stage how come all the other kids had like Tupperware with proper triangly cut sandwiches and you know proper <laughs> And I was getting, I was getting salmon spread in kind of two oh. slices of bread in the waxy wrapper from the from the thing, and I I stopped eating it. It would seep, it would seep through by it, lunchtime. It st- I stopped eating my sandwich. I stopped eating my sauce, my lun, and eventually, after about six months, all the sandwiches rotted out the bo- mm. the, the bottom of my school bag yeah. while I was coming out one day in front of her, and and it, that was that was a difficult afternoon. C.J. McCarthy, you do exactly what you promise. That there's crack here and a bit of Irish history and, and it's deeper than you're, you're letting on there was a lot of comments about there was nothing stopping us only ourselves in our yeah. quest for modernity which was a quote from your dad yeah. but anyway people can find it easy the devil wears Farah good luck to you have a nice day down in Limerick now we are here this morning good morning to you Zoe and Emma Mulvey and you're very welcome to the studio both of you thank you thank uh, you Emma being the mammy and Zoe being the daughter who's full of mischief and having a bit of crack this morning are you well are you excited oh yeah Delighted. Anyway, this is a fantastic story of, well, I said it was hardship turns to triumph. And Zoe, you can actually relax now for a minute because we're going to grill the mammy. Is that okay? Is it okay? <laughs> She's laughing at laughing away here. Uh, because Emma Mul- Mulvey, we want to come to you first of all. And well, tell us your story because you are, you're a mum, obviously. Uh, you're a dub. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Up for the dubs and all that crack? Absolutely. What part of Dublin, by the way? I live in Dundrum. Oh, lovely. Okay. It's a kind of a part of the world I sort of wonder, what's the identity of people of Dundrum? Well, there's a lot of women visit Dundrum. Yeah. Because there's a nice shopping centre there. (laughs) We were there as well. And it's busy. It's busy in a wet summer. But no, I want to find out a little bit about yourself and your family. You're a mum of... of, I'm a mum of four and a, a nana of two. Two beautiful grandson and granddaughter. Um, you're reluctant but look at your grand you just tell the story about yourself because you're here with your lovely daughter Zoe and uh, there was an amazing story at the at the start can you bring us back to when when Zoe was was born um, we she, start was, there. she was born the end of February 2003 mm. and we discovered before she was born that she was going to have um, a few medical issues 
it, it was water on the brain. It was known as hydrocephalus. Yeah. And um, so when she was six days old, she had her first operation in Crumlin Hospital. She had a shunt fitted and we were there for, I think it was three weeks. And uh, we finally got home on St. Patrick's Day, got her home to where we were living at the time in Wicklow, down in Dunlavin. And um, I had three other children at the time, so things was a little bit difficult. But um, we had great help from Jack and Jill Foundation. And a wonderful, wonderful charity. They're amazing people. Absolutely amazing. And it enabled us to have a beautiful local lady called Bridget who helped us out. And we just, you know, life just ticked along with, we were busy with hospital appointments and physio, OT, speech and language therapy. And um, well, unfortunately, she had a little few setbacks and she ended up having to have two further shunts inserted before she was six months old. But We just and try we, to focus on the positives and, and... And she, if you don't mind me saying, she had been born by a caesarean section. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and where are you spending your, your nights in these early days? Oh, I was sleeping in the hospital. <laughs> on the floor? <laughs> on the floor for a couple of nights, but then uh, I had a sort of a pull-down bed. Yeah, no, Did I didn't want to leave her. I didn't want to leave no. her because I just didn't want to leave her. The pull of love. Yeah. From a, yeah. From a, a mammy of, of four, and this was your youngest. I mean, how bad did things get? Because there, there was the doctors gave kind of grim outlooks at times, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. The professor that was looking after us, he was very matter of fact. And sometimes, you know, you can deliver news in a nice way or <laughs> not so nice way. But he felt that because her head size, her head, her head was about the same size as her body when she was born, and she had lots of fluids on the brain. So he felt that she wouldn't walk, talk or live independently and she would need 24 hour care. But um, she's amazing. <laughs> she's, but she's here before us. She definitely, yeah. She's walking, talking. <laughs> Good morning, Zoe. <laughs> Good morning. How are you feeling this morning? Good. <laughs> Have you done an interview like this before? Small interview, yeah. <laughs> Small interview. <laughs> I can hear your family cackling actually out in the background because they're sort of laughing at you. You're you're full of mischief, but uh, this morning you're starting to get a little bit shy on us. And we have a, we have a great story about um, not putting limitations on yourself despite the barricades that life sometimes throw throws up. Um, as a child, actually, we're going to come back to you, Mammy, first of all, because oh. Zoe, I'm going to come I'm going to come to you on the. Uh, on why we're here, because it's all about water safety and the water sports. Mm. But as a as a child, um, what was Zoe? What was Zoe like as a child? Because I know we had all these initial complications at the beginning. She was funny. <laughs> <laughs> she was very funny, and uh, she she'd do anything for a round applause, a round of applause, and a big cheer from her siblings. And really, I used to say, only for them, she'd still probably be lying on the floor. You know. Um, they were instrumental in in bringing her on, mm. you know. But um, no, she was very funny. She was always very funny. Who are but your siblings, Zoe? You, be- you better give them a shout out, or you'll be in trouble. Um, Neve, and she's in there. She's out here, yeah. My dad, no, Damien, sibling. Wow, well. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right, Mammy. For God's sake, she's just going through the family. <laughs> um, Andrew and Stephen. Yeah, and what are they like? Um. <laughs> They're all right. You're just all right, yeah. Just yeah. mixed feelings. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, because there, there, there are grandchildren in the family. Yeah. We yeah. have uh, so Ross. Andrew. Yeah, Ross is two and um, Willow is one and seven months. So. So it's a busy, it's a busy old family. 
Oh, it is, yeah. They're wonderful. Grandchildren are wonderful. Now, we were following a kind of a neat chronology there. I want to come back to this. So as a kid, she's going crack. And as a teenager, uh, then you're sort of, we're looking at life, aren't we? And, and what, what Zoe's going to be able to do. Yeah, well, it's always, I mean, it can be a very lonely place mm. if you have a, you know, a young person with a disability. And um, there's a lot of restraints. As she, you know, it's difficult for Zoe to sort of venture out on her own. Yeah. But um, we're always trying to keep busy doing different things, youth clubs and um, uh, Special Olympics. Zoe used to do Special Olympics. She used to play hockey. Unfortunately, that's she can't do that anymore. She had a, a lot of med- medical issues about two and a half years ago. And um, she had four brain operations in eight weeks. So the... the I think there might have been a bit of damage done and really? the messages aren't really going through to her legs sometimes. But yeah. uh, we just try to be positive all the time. But Extremely uh, positive because there was this opportunity then that came up. Yeah, but back in 2017, I had an email from Enable Ireland um, telling us about the Water Sport Inclusion Games and... Um, I mean, I actually myself, I got very excited about it. <laughs> I thought this was a fantastic opportunity. And so the f- the very first games was down in Dunleary and um, we went down and... Uh, and so Irish, we, Irish sailing was very involved. So there, oh, were, yeah. there were going to be boats. So would you remember your, your first trip down into to, to the water sports? Yeah, and I was very, very reluctant to go because I was, I was like, oh, I don't think I, don't think I'd like this, don't <laughs> think I'd enjoy it. And then I went and I tried a couple of different things and then I got to the speedboat. That was it. That was it. So the, the kind of day wasn't going very well. You're sort of thinking, I'm not really into this whole water thing. No. And then someone said, well, there's a speedboat over here. <laughs> and all of a sudden. Yeah. And, and do, you, like, do, you, do you remember your first moment looking at the speedboat? Um, I actually don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a blur. Oh, it's such a blurry crack. And this has become a bit of a passion for you, hasn't it? Yeah. How so? Um, well, I'm working towards my uh, powerboat, uh, powerboat license. Yeah. To drive boats. Well, that's that. That's kind of the cream. So how often do you get to go out on the powerboat? Not as often as I'd like to. <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> but if, it, if you know anyone selling the boat, I'll buy it off them. <laughs> if there's anyone else selling the boat, she's up for it. Now, Mammy is kind of a, is looking a bit worried. Lovely about fast boat. Yeah, a good fast boat. That's what you want. And what is it about, I mean, this is like going to be a dumb question, but what is it about the boat that really, like, really gets you going and really gets you excited? Oh, just the speed of it. Because you get that quicker. Mm. And and you, the big thing here is it's something you can do yourself. Yeah. How, how do you feel like when you're out in the water and it's you in control of this big beast of an engine? Oh, it's great crack. And no fear. You've no fear? <laughs> no. And, what, uh, and you, because you were frightened of some of the other sports, which seem a little bit, uh, you know, kayaking and all that sort of stuff, not for you. No. It seems nice and slow. It's in the harbour. That would be more my sort of thing. But for some reason, it's the day. <laughs> for some reason... <laughs> It's the day to go on. You fall in. <laughs> Maybe it's a... It, yeah, uh, I like to keep dry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> keep dry, okay, right. And you can in, in the boat. Yeah. But the big thing here is is your licence and the achievement that you can actually get a powerboat licence. Oh, yes. H- how far along are you at the moment? Um. We don't know yet. I don't know. There's a few more, a few more yeah. licences. But yeah. you're going to get there. Yeah. That's the main thing. That, oh, yes. That's the passion. Um, does Mammy go out on the boat? Yes. Is she and, terrified? And my she? dad. And the dad, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine there's a lot of people queuing up for suddenly this. <laughs> Uh, but the weather, the weather has been bad lately, so I presume you haven't been out in a, in a no, bit. No, But I, uh, I go down to Dunleary Marina every Tuesday just to look at the boat. Just, really? <laughs> yeah. And, and I suppose the important point here is, like, you can't get a driving licence. No. But you can do this. Yeah. And that gives you that sense of, of, of involvement, does it? Achievement. Oh, yes. Yeah. It does. Can you, can you tell us, like, what, what, this, what, what it means to you? Um, it just means like that I can, like, I can't, I can't do one thing. Then I'm gonna be able to drive a boat. Mm. And that, 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 that's that's because there's so many limitations and stuff. Yeah. And as you say, uh, because it, it can be, as your mum said, it can sometimes be a bit of a lonely place. Yeah, it can be very lonely, cause uh, like, I, I don't think I don't think you should be treated differently just because you're different. Yeah. Like should be treated uh, equally the same. Totally agree. As everyone else. Yeah. Uh, and this gives you that kind of sense, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. That's brilliant. Uh, is it kind of a Dublin decked boat or is it? We've got that to be too personal now to be getting into how you deck. It <laughs> uh, says she's a Wicklow lady. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I'm a true Wicklow lady. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, right. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry now. I've trod. I've completely trod on the on the wrong places here together. Um, the inclusion games is kind of this is where this all starts, isn't it? And well, well, Emma, you tell us a little bit about the inclusion games, if you don't mind. Well, um, the Irish Sailing um, they got uh, funding from dormant accounts and uh, set up. They wanted to bring water sports to people that normally wouldn't be be able to go out on boats and um, it's just grown from strength to strength like every year it was on 2017 now the two years over Covid it had to be cancelled but uh, yeah. this year it was down in Wexford and um, it's it's just an amazing weekend it just opens up water sports to people that you know, because of their disability, they'd never be able to try out these things. And um, it's just a fantastic weekend. It yeah, really it's a, is. It's a deadly idea, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the people that volunteer, you see the same faces year in, year out. And, um, you know, they give up their whole weekend. People are so kind, you know, uh, they're really, really kind, giving and, up and, their time for time. us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Zoe, very importantly, you were nominated for an award uh, to do with, <laughs> with being on the water. Tell us about that. Um, I was nominated for Sailor of the Year, and but unfortunately, I didn't get it. No. I was up against the second best in the country. Oh right, okay. Yeah. But look, it's early days. Yeah. It's early days. It's really... Ho- hopefully next year. Yeah, hopefully next year, um, and you'll have the license and everything like that. And uh, w- can you describe the boat? It's specifically what kind of boat is this is? Because we're trying to we're doing a shout out. It's a yeah. Do you remember? It's a rib. Yeah, it's yeah. a rib. It's a rib. That's amazing. There's a nice message here. Five one five five one is a text number. Um, a big hello to Zoe and family from the whole Jack and Jill nursing team. Aww. Uh, meeting in Killashee in Kildare and uh, turning into, uh, tuning into this wonderful story. Thanks for the lovely mention. I will all be looking for that fast boat. <laughs> and that's from Carmel Doyle, who's the CEO of the Jack and Jill Children's Aww. Foundation. They're, 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 they're a great crack down there, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They used to, the Jack and Jill nurse that we had, Sandra Nolan, she used to call Zoe uh, the miracle baby. Really? <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's what well, she used to call. Yeah, <laughs> you are. You are a miracle, yeah. 
Yeah. And there should be awards for that as well. Yeah. <laughs> look, a boat will do for the meantime. Yeah. Um, for other people with disabilities, Zoe, who might be nervous or scared to get out of their comfort zone and do what you have done, what can you say to them this morning? Um, just, uh, if you go out on the boat and if you don't feel comfortable, at least you've tried it. And yeah. it's something like... like um, if you don't like it, then we don't do it again. But at least you've tried it. But you've no idea if you're going to like it unless you actually no. go out and, and yeah, get it. Yeah, you, you have to try it first. And then if you don't like it, then, you, then you, at, least, at least you've tried it then. You speak perfect sense. So that's advice for anyone, really. Um, you have other passions as well in your life. Yes. Baron. <laughs> How did you get into playing the Baron? Um, I, started in, I started in school and then I graduated from school and then I started doing it in an Irish culture centre in, in Clondalkin called Oris Cronin mm-hmm. and I do I do lessons there and then I on a Wednesday night I play with a gang of air lads uh, <laughs> a gang of air lads beautifully put and we, uh, we the go, air lads that'd be a good name for a band actually we go around all different greens and play Oh really? In Clontalkin, yeah. 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 the Greens in Clontalkin, and that that actually comes from the the pandemic time. There's the lockdowns yeah. we had to play it. So that tradition has continued on. Yeah, yeah. Yourself yeah. and the Owlets. But last since there's loads of rain. No, no, it's miserable. It's not good. It's not good bower on weather <laughs> no, at the minute. No, um, no the, I, I, there's some young. There's some young people play as well. Taylor D plays as well. There's some other young musicians. It's it's a fantastic. That's oh, fantastic. All the community comes out on the greens, and mm. they uh, have drinks of my wadi, and uh, the children have a ball listening to the music. Irish Someone music. Someone have vino. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, I'm sure say. it's just my wadi, but uh, but no, the lads can do whatever they want because they're lads. But uh, yeah. Zoe and the lads, that'd be a good, that'd be a good band now you can put together. <laughs> Um, I'm told that the yeah the the Neve is that the name that's the name of the boat the, yeah. the spinal injuries rib boat uh, called the Neve. Yeah, it's the nicest boat in the uh, in the marina. It's the nicest boat as 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 indeed uh, announced by you. Um, so you battered that you. What's that? Sorry, no, no, no. What's the, mother, I thought she'd give a mention to Sue. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I did give a mention to Sue and Eugene from spinal injuries. Very good. You did the job there. Do you want anyone else now, Mammy, to be to be Five one five five one is next. Lovely interview. Zoe is inspirational and comes across as a kind and beautiful young lady. Well done. So you've loads of support out there, Zoe. Yeah. And uh, we wish you all the best on 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 the Neve. Uh, and so, if we see somebody um, behaving rambunctiously out in the waters, like it's Miami Vice, that reference is way too old oh, yeah. for, for someone in their twenties. I'll, uh, uh, I'll bring you out. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. I'm up for that. Uh, <laughs> I'll although, bring Tara. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tara is a lovely producer, and I'm yeah, I'm up for that. Although I'm nervous, you you do seem to like the speed. I'm not sure. I'd yeah, be, but I can go slow. Like if, yeah, it, maybe it's in the harbour. No, you'll do. That doesn't work. There's a speed limit in the harbour. There's a speed yeah. limit. There is. What's the speed limit in the harbour? Do you know? Um, I actually don't know. 20 knots, 20 knots, something like that, 12 knots. Let us know if you know, 51551. She doesn't care about the speed no. limit, she doesn't know. Definitely not. But anyway, we don't want to jeopardise your licence in any way. But look, uh, this has been a, it's been a lovely story. It's been lovely to meet you, Zoe and Emma Mulvey, and all the Mulveys who are out there behind the glass. And uh, thanks to Irish Sailing and to, to the Jack and Jill Foundation, everyone involved. You're an absolute credit, uh, mother and daughter. You're actually good pals. Good oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Never she, fight. She's something my left that- arm. 
She's my left arm. She's it's always arm. left-handed, so that's what we both of us are lefties. Up <laughs> the lefties. The Kitogi. Yeah. Well, I was just wanted to say oh, yeah, sorry, what, Zoe, what Zoe said to me when I was uh, asking her, you know, what would you like to do with your licence when you do get it? She said, mm-hmm. I'd like to bring other people that have disabilities out on the boat so they can experience what I'm experiencing. Oh, that, I just thought that was just amazing. Gorgeous, that's what you do. I will, I'll give up my position on the boat for people out there. We want to also mention next year's Inclusion Games will be hosted at the Remorse Water Sports Club. That's in Virginia in County Cavan. Sailing.ie forward slash inclusion has all of that. 51551 is the text. Good morning to you both. You're very welcome back and I have in front of me here the theatre director Michael Scott. Good morning to you Michael. Good morning. And Mary Weldon good morning to you as well. Good morning. I'm going to come to you shortly Mary because you have a direct, you're a primary source for some of the material we're going to be talking about this morning because this is a new play Michael based on the infamous book, I think it's fair to call it now in the valley. Fairly infamous. Of the squinting windows. Uh, It was banned in 1918 and what happened to the author and his family in the Midlands was was really shocking and well tell us about like where where did you come to happen upon this story? You're, you've been directing plays for 50 years, I'm, I'm told. More or less, 45 to 50 Must, years. Did you start as a child or something? 11. <laughs> In the Abbey. <laughs> Literally. I ended up at the West End when I was 11. Well, tell uh, us, because I don't really, I didn't but, really know much well, about I the original it, it book. Starts, it starts with, with, I suppose, my mentor was Phyllis Ryan, who mm. initially suggested I do The Matchmaker back in 1990 yeah. and we did that and then when we had the matchmaker running again in 2021 with Anna and Des and we were doing the world and touring here and there she said you know darling the other thing we should try and do is the valley of the squinting windows and I said okay I'll try so I made inquiries and there was just nobody interested it was just the family were not interested in talking the owners everybody was just going no 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 so I kind of gave up and then I started working But you realise there was trouble with this yeah that's why and I I realised there'd been difficulties with the book but I didn't know the extent of it so I did a bit of research and eventually Monagar Arts Centre said to me you know we would love to do something about this because it's set in Delvin which is 15 kilometres from here we'd love to do something so in we we began a very slow process of discussing with the rights owners at the time, the book, and bit by bit, we also worked with the with the with the book fair in Delvin, which is called the Garadrimmer Book Fair, mm. and they started to do little bits of readings of the book. And as nobody threw things at anybody, I burnt them out anymore, because uh, I had asked Mary McAvoy years ago would she be involved, and she lives in Delvin. She said, "Jesus, no, I couldn't be." I terrified because of the local trouble. Because of the because it still amazing resonates yeah. now. And that has changed, thank God. So eventually we started work on it and it took 100 years, 101 years from the date the book was published to actually get it on the stage yeah, as a play. That's incredible. And it begin, the play begins with them burning the book. Really? Because it's, it's an important moment in time. Mm-hmm. It's a moment where Ireland turns its back on looking at itself yes. and refuses to move into the 21st century because... It's it's unlike because the manner in which it it showed an unwillingness in Irish people to view themselves objectively and look at the dark side. Uh, Evan Boland, she was interviewed by Benedict Kiley, made the point that Irish writers years ago only had the British to go to, hmm. but they hadn't themselves had a relationship with Irish readers. Yes, and when Irish readers began to get hold of this book, they went insane. Yeah, and went, so it's 1918. Yeah, and paint the scene for us. The book comes out. Why are they so angry about? They're this? so angry because this is a time when Ireland wants to be a new nation. It wants mm. to be forward-looking. It wants to be the future. We want to have dancing at the crossroads, and 
you know, McNamara is p painting a picture of small Ireland, miserable Ireland, people who are glowing at the, the misfortunes of other people mm -hmm. and telling the truth about the dark side of the country. And nobody wants to see that. It's the opposite of the Gaelic uh, revival. Well, let's look at the other people who did it. So the Playboy riots of the Abbey are in 1907. Yeah. The burning of the book is in 1918 when it's published. James Joyce publishes Ulysses in 1922. The Plough and the Star riots are in the Abbey in 1926. So in the first 30 years of the new decade, as Ireland was establishing itself, all of the people who criticise anything to do with Ireland are attacked, burned or leave the country because they're just hated. Yeah. So what happens commenting. to... Who is Brinsley McNamara? Brinsley was a man called John Weldon who was born in Westmeath. His father was the local school teacher and when the book was banned, the whole town took against the whole family, not just against Brinsley. Mm. And the family effectively, because school teachers were paid by the number of pupils, the parish priest who owned the school closed the school, told all of the people in the town nobody was to go to the school. The family were destitute and Brinsley eventually had to rent a house for them, and which he did, in Avoca. He had to completely leave. Yeah, the mm -hmm. and the, the family moved to Avoca. And here's the, the weird, shivery bit. I live in Avoca yeah. and I wrote the play <laughs> on the other side of the river a from where they live. twist of fate, yeah. yeah. It changed so so Brinsley McNamara was a pen name. He so it was a pen name and he always used it. The Brinsley came from Brinsley Sheridan and the McNamara from another family member. Uh -huh. And he was an actor in the Abbey. Um, he also became the registrar of the National Gallery and he was still reviled. He was there for 35 years and when he retired, time. they wouldn't give him a pension. Mm -hmm. and only the Yates and a pile of other people intervened on his behalf. Yes. Brinsley was still despised for his criticisms years afterwards. Amazing. So, so John uh, Weldon John Weldon was his real name. And, and you know, and Mary, Mary, Mary Weldon, because I want to bring in about, Mary here. About yes. the effect that had on him. Absolutely. Oh. Mary Weldon, so you have, you are directly connected with yes. the with story, aren't you? Tell us. daughter-in-law. So. And you married, what was his son's? Oliver. He was Oliver, great, great name. Yeah, he was a journalist. <laughs> he was a journalist, okay. Yeah, he was the Independent, he was with the Irish press for years, yeah. yeah. What did this uh, whole book and the, the the aftershocks of it have, the effect on the family? Oh, it was dreadful. Brinsley became a very bitter man, very mm. bitter man. But I think the worst part of it all was his mother. Nobody mentions his mother, who was a delicate, quiet lady, and she suddenly bereft of everything. No, they've no home because it's taken from them. They've no work because the parish priest fired him. Mm -hmm. And nobody would sell them any groceries in the village. They threw stones at them. They had a gun and shot at them. It was vile what they did. It was shocking. And I mean, how could a parish priest do that to some elderly lady with her family? Nobody mentions her. This is John yeah. Weldon's mum. Yes, this is John Weldon's mother. And so she yeah. also has to, everyone has to leave. Everybody. Yeah. And his sisters. And he had one sister. It was a little backward, you know, and she needed to be looked after. She didn't know what was happening. And they were, Brinsley just hadn't much money himself at the time. But anyway, he managed to get this house mm -hmm. in Avoca, which he rented for them until the day the parents died. And um, his father used to spend most of his time down in the local hotel. You could see it coming down from mm. the mountain. He sitting outside <laughs> telling yarns to the tourists as they came in. That was his... That, 
did nothing. Can I ask you, when did you get to know the family? Because you, you marry Oliver yeah. uh, Weldon. We were married in 1948. So this is 30 years after the book. And uh, this is still obviously affecting everyone at the time. Oh, yes. Yeah. And he, he did, he, he well, of everybody did in those days. He, he did drink a lot, you know. Mm. And uh, he, I don't know, he, he got very bitter about things. You had to, you couldn't mention certain things in the house. Really? He would just flare up, you know. Anything to do with the book? And uh, it just left him a different person. How does it end up? How, does it, how long does he live? Does he have he, any reckoning with Well, he, he rented... Uh, she's, his wife, Brinsley's wife, was a school teacher in Quinn, County Clare, and she stayed on there as a school teacher. And he was living... He lived in Waterloo Road, in 47 Waterloo Road. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they would see one another, sort of maybe every few months. Then he did get very ill. He got some sort of typhoid or something from from water. Yes. I'm not quite sure what it was. And he got very ill, and he went down to Quinn, and she looked after him. He was there for a year, but he did a lot of writing when he was there. Mm. Did yeah. he live to see the book sort of? Uh, oh my goodness! Re-accom- no, he didn't. No. But I was also looking up at even but just the published editions of the novel. Yeah, they, they disappear it, it after nineteen. They were actually re- it, had it was banned here. Mm-hmm. It's it the seventies, is it, Mary? When it, I think it's the seventies when it reemerges. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, husband, it, it, it my was banned here, was and then the only copies were the, the American copies that started ah, to come in. I see, yes, because the, like uh, there was a, one of the people said, you know, you should know better than to take a priest to court. Yes, because. That's there was just no winner. You're not going to win. And, that, that, that was the case. They eff- took an action. Effectively, you know, what's so awful about the book? The book tells the story of small town Ireland. It tells the story of people who are in love of, you know, a, t- a, a teacher who becomes pregnant out of wedlock. Mm-hmm. All of the dark things that you're not supposed to do that Ireland didn't want to see. The, the people in this book would, even the woman, it's about Nan Brennan, should have ended up in a Madeleine home. Yeah. It's a dark, dark story of unrelenting, sort of, kind of, of of attempted love, of sadness, and a kind of the sins of the father coming back on the on the sin on the, on the children, and in a sense the play opens that up in a different way because in the play we use four live video cameras. Yeah, I'm interested. Twenty four in microphones yeah. and a giant video wall. And the video, the, one of the cameras is Wi-Fi to the screen, so it, it's free and it walks around wirelessly and it shows you things on stage that you can't see with your naked eye. So, for instance, when Nan is talking to herself in the mirror, w- the camera looks in the mirror at her talking to us. So you see yes, that on the screen, good. but mm-hmm. you can't actually see her yourself. Ah, I see what you mean, yes. And the idea is that this new technology, it's kind of like a hybrid. It's, it's like the way you read a Coca-Cola bottle in any language. Nowadays, we watch screens, we watch our phones. So it's about people watching people, watching people, watching people. The squinting windows. Yeah, Yeah. and it is uh, in the the show, you can see all of the cast watching the whole show from the side of the stage so that you get this extraordinary picture of of people wanting to have private moments Mm -hmm. and yet they're not private, which is really where we are in our new technologies as well. I'm going to come back to you on the actual story of the book because the story in the book is every bit as fascinating as the bit outside. It is, very. <laughs> I, I, think, I think a mistake they made, though, was taking that action against the parish priest. Because in it those prolonged days, the... Those, yeah. My goodness. They weren't Nobody. going to win. No, 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 and the jury disagreed. 
I want to ask you, Mary, um, did you have misgivings when you heard that there was going to be a, a, a play and it was going to start in Mullingar and bring it to the gatey and bring all the attention again? Did you have initial yeah, misgivings? A little bit sort of worried about it, you know, that it would <laughs> yeah. be a farcical thing, you know, or something like that, you know. Mm. But uh, because, you know, when Brinsley was in the Abbey, there wasn't a week past that he didn't have a play and they're mostly comedies which was hard to imagine yeah, yeah. for Brinsley because he was the opposite type, you know. Yeah. Very it's incredible it takes a hundred years for the yeah. for the book but, to become a play. Yeah, but anyway, you know, then they got um, Yeats and the rest of the crowd that tried to get money together. Mm-hmm. Which was called the Weldon Appeal. I have it at home. There was some support for him, and to yeah. to bring it to a higher court. Oh, I see. Yes, which in, they, they were never going to nobody win. Nobody was going to give them money. No, to to, to actually, George Bernard Shaw famously turned down supporting it, saying that it was a lost cause. Basically, aha, uh-huh. he turned out to be completely correct. Yeah, it probably looked mean spirited at the time to the yeah. other writers. Yeah, no, I mean all, all, all of the right. big names of writing at the time supported and signed the thing. Mm. Yeah, to but it didn't actually get anywhere. I have a lovely message in here. It says, I'm a Delvin native working in the University of Limerick where there's a first edition of the book in our special collections. It was an amazing experience for me to hold and look at this book, uh, which, of course, I've read. And that's from Eta Richardson. What is the the Weldon family relationship with Westmeath like today? Well, I don't think people laugh at you know, but there were some very nice people in that there were family called Lenehan's, and actually Brinsley did yeah, did a bit of his writing in their home. Ah, so he he did go you back know, to the other time because he was doing it in the schoolhouse. Hmm. Well, that was you originally, know. wasn't it? Yeah, in the school. And then when all this thing blew up, you know, well, the schoolhouse was closed. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Your, your husband Oliver has sadly passed. Uh, yes, nine now, years ago. Nine years ago. Sorry to hear yeah. that. Yeah. Um. So he would have been. He would have loved this. He would have loved, loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Mary, Mary's quite surprised when she saw the show because. Oh, it was magnificent. You felt, you felt it was kind of true It was to the book. exactly, exactly. You stuck to the book. And that second part, it was absolutely... Yeah, like Act One is kind of like... amazing. Well, well, setting it up. Setting yeah. it up. And then it gets yes, into the nitty-gritty really part gets, two. Yeah, and yeah. it is a whodunit. I mean... There is. There's a lot of twists and turns. Can you tell us a, a, an overview amount. of the story? Because I have not got into that yet. So we're in the Getty at the beginning of November, just for a week. And it's the story of this woman called Nan Brennan who falls for the local landowner and he seemingly falls for her. In the big house. In the big house. And he puts a ring on her finger. And then it turns out that he brings her to the Shelburne Hotel and dumps her because, in fact, he's had a better proposal from a titled lady. And so she is pregnant. Mm-hmm. And she's at home now, the fallen woman, the church decrying her from the altar and all of that. So she has the baby. And when she has the baby, she is told it has died and is buried in the back garden to hide the shame. And she is sent to England. She goes to England and marries a man and neglects to tell him she had a baby. When they all come back to the village, the village are quick enough to tell him and that destroys them. She does have a, a son with him. John, who she decides should be a priest, which would be an atonement for her sins and bring the family back into ta- power. Because having a priest in the family basically the gives thing. them an, an immense yeah. power and credibility. And help redeem. Yes. And redeems yes. the yes. sin. Yes. Yeah. And she, I mean, Nan does every mission that there's going. She prays more than anybody else. She's on her knees. If she's not sewing, she's on her knees in the church. 
husband's a useless drunk. And one day, um, her son is not just sent to a school, but to a school in England to be a priest. And one day on the way back, he meets Miles, who is the brother of the man who dumped her. Yes. And he says, oh, John, you must come and meet my nephew. And the two of them meet. And both of them fall in love with the local school teacher who just arrived. And there's a new love. But one track. of them is a priest, so he can't be in love. Yes. And the other one is in love. And you've given like what sounds like a huge setup of the story, but there are so many twists in this. I tale. can't you give away more. You haven't even spoiled. Yet. And of course, the other the other nasty element is that there's a woman called Mars in the story, Prendergast, who bribes Nan. Right. Now she oh, does, Nan doesn't know what she's being bribed for, but she knows that Mars knows something. Yeah. And. There's also the wonderful postmistress, Mrs. Brannigan, who Billy Trainer, I wrote it for her, plays. And Billy, we have two little spaces on the stage. One is is the, the, the workroom for Nan with her sewing machine, and she spends the whole play sewing. And the other is the postmistress, the post office, and she spends the whole play steaming open every letter that comes. Right, okay. <laughs> so she's the centre of all the gossip. She is, like she is there for the whole play, steaming open the letters until she springs into action and then she destroys Everybody. Yeah. And that is one of the reasons the book, an absolute the book, everybody went insane because the local publican was reading the book to the assembled pub. There was a big funeral in town. They were all having a great time. The local publican This is the read, real life element the book of the book back story. in 1918. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all having a great time having the party and everybody's come back from the funeral and they're all kind of slightly drunk and he's reading it. And he gets to page 28 and he discovers himself and the wife are perfectly described uh, yes. not in nice terms he goes apeshit and it's true and that's, it, the, that's yes, the bit that hurts it's isn't true it? yeah, yeah. and he bribes everybody by giving the whole pub free drink to go and get oh wow Brinsley McNamara and they chased Brinsley with pickaxes torches rifles and all, petrol apparently literally through three towns Brinsley escaped with his life that night Wow. That's right. he, he was incredibly That's right. brave writing that story, your father-in-law, Mary. And kind yeah. of foolish. He was, he was young. He was young. He was young man. This is his first novel. Mm. Yep. How young was he, actually? He... 28. Oh, 26 he 20? when he wrote it and 28 when it was published. Yeah. Young and foolish, but but he told the and truth. He, yes. And he'd been... In, then he was with that the was his crime. His crime was he told yeah. the truth. Yeah. And yeah. the priest in the book is not well respected shall we say and the priest obviously wouldn't like that either No uh, There's nice messages coming in I saw the play in the Mullingar Art Centre I thought it was brilliant says Maria uh, Someone else saw the premiere of the play as well in Mullingar in 2019 it was put on uh, up, in Mul up Mullingar says Mary so this was kind of you, you managed to it was, the plan it was, was to bring this sooner wasn't it was it, 21 years of the Art Centre ex mm. be existent Michael D the President came down to reopen the place again and we had a fantastic night and it was about reclaiming the book mm. and it was extraordinary so uh, the, the local drama people who had done it were kind of like kind of going oh you know we've done it you know we're going to be doing it but I actually did every bit of the book I was actually well yeah. it took me a year to do the adaptation and, and, and you to, kept to the language yeah and, and I also I actually invented my own language but in the spirit of the way Brinsley wrote mm -hmm. because Brinsley's language in the book does sound quite theatrical because he, he eventually wrote plays. But I discovered as I was working through it that I couldn't copy it. It didn't actually work as a stage language. Okay. So I had to kind of invent a way that the characters would speak and each of them has their own syntax. So the, the upper class characters do not speak with the same set of words that the lower class people 
Oh, right. Okay. So they've all got their own, kind of like, you know, something going to how you thought or missed or whatever. Whereas the other people speak in a much more, almost like Oscar Wilde kind of way. I get you. So the way they use language is different. Mm. So that you can tell not only the class by their clothes, but how they actually use language. Because using you. language is a very important part of the way Brinsley thought about them. And also how the play works. It's a big cast? Yes, there are. Ten professional actors, including a videographer who spends the whole play running around. And she's extraordinary because you don't see her. I mean, she's there all the time, but you don't realise there's an extra person That's in right. every scene. Uh-huh. It's amazing. And it's like the first five minutes you're going, oh, what am I looking at? Am I looking at the screen? Am I looking at the stage? And then you actually start to look at everything and you, you realise you're looking at a new kind of making theatre where mm-hmm. if you don't watch the video with the other elements, you don't get the whole story. So there's 10 professional actors, there's 15 local players, and then there's 10 kids. So there's nearly 40 people oh, by the time right. you put the crew. Okay. Enjoy directing that. <laughs> so we've got, we've got seven shows, including two matinees in yeah. the Gaiety, and we do it for three days beforehand at Mullingar Arts Centre. And that's the beginning of November. And you can book on gaietytheatre.ie. Um, it's, it's, it's a difficult uh, thing to do because it's hugely technical. But we also play live music by John Field during the show because he was the kind of the, the composer to go to at the time. At the time. Um, and I felt it was important to find music. There is electronic music in it as well and other stuff and sounds. Mm. But I felt it important to place everything in a time so that although there's no actual real scenery in a conventional sense, I mean, 20 years ago, it would have been done with the thatch cottage. It sets us right now, there in a different way. we are looking at it the way we yes. see things. It's like TikTok. It's like watching Snapchat. It's like watching Instagram. The images are there for three seconds mm. and gone. Mary, it was important to to begin this uh, in Mullingar, wasn't it? I mean... Oh, uh, my th- goodness. Uh, yes, yes. It, it, give us the significance of that. Yeah. Well, you know... You're worried about you know, how people are going to take it, you know. But of course, most of these people are long dead. Long gone. And the present generation would only laugh about it, you know. So yeah. That's, well, we laugh know. and also, you know, shudder because it's a, it's an Ireland of a particular era. Yeah. And it, it feels within it's, living memory. I mean, it's, it's within your living memory. Oh, yes. And I know people yeah. are kind of wondering, how yeah. have we got someone in the no, studio who's connected? I wasn't there during <laughs> no, that time. No, that's not the actual thing. But <laughs> for, for during the, the dark periods enough when he was, when Brinsley was obviously brooding over this uh, wrong well, that was done to him. Yeah, well, when I came on the scene in 1948, of course, the, he was living in Sandy Mount at that mm. stage and his wife had t- retired and they were both living together. So I, I wasn't part of the very bad time bad in his life, so, you know. Yeah. But um, he was an, he was an I mean, extraordinary man. I, I think what's interesting is when Brinsley wrote the book, he claimed that it was like any village. Yeah. The right. problem yes. was... And he gave it a fictional yes. name. He gave it yes. a fictional name, yeah. Drimna. And I mean, it, it's yeah. kind of like, it's, it's got name. the word grim in it and it's sort of almost sounds Irish. But the problem was that he did such very clear portraits of the people of Delvin that the reaction from them is not hugely surprising. Yeah. Now, nobody would have known if they hadn't made a big bang, but because they did, suddenly everybody went, oh, that's whatever. You know, and... He was also in good company for being banned. I mean, there was Kate O'Brien, John Broderick, John McGahern, 
who oh, was yeah. banned at yeah. the time, yes. and Brian Moore, who eventually went off to Canada and wrote about Ireland from the safety of Canada. Mm. So he kind of, he's in good company. You look at O'Casey, who left the country. I mean, he's, he has a weird relationship with O'Casey. When he was the director of the Abbey, and they were doing the Silver Tassie, it was a big scandal. <laughs> it was. Oliver was not nice. Oh, sorry, not Oliver. Um, Brinsley. Brinsley was not nice about nope. O'Casey. <laughs> he actually shot Oliver, basically. Did, did his career work afterwards? Did he have a, a successful career? Brinsley... Because getting banned was often a good thing for sales eventually. He, he wrote... He? he was an actor for the Abbey. He was the register for the... The, the National Registered Gallery and he wrote plays for the years. Abbey and he discovered that if he wrote sort of sad unpleasant plays they didn't do so well so he started writing as you said Mary comedies. all of these comedies and he actually had to play about the Heffernans which whenever the Abbey was stuck for business and wasn't doing well they'd stick it on oh, right. and, and it always glory. did well it was always, yeah. it was the go-to yeah. play the Abbey always had a couple of go-to plays and it yeah. was one of the go-to and plays and certainty and Mops yeah. and Mabel and so he tuned his writing you because he didn't have royalties he didn't have much money a miserable salary from the gallery at the time and he was keeping two families effectively so he really was struggling financially well, so he needed the royalties friends. from the plays it was his friends that arranged yeah. that, that he would get a, some sort of a pension because you know, mm. they wouldn't give him a pension yeah. After 35 years. There's one last message in here. Brinsley would sit and write in my late father's garden, Higginstown in Kilucan. Yep. He often bought eggs for my father, looking forward to the place, the Celine Glynn. The Weldon family must be immensely proud of the fact that it's back in Westmead and there is this now um, uh, reckoning and uh, finally yes, retribution right, in a way. Yes, absolutely wonderful. It's lovely to see it happen. You know, people, we didn't think that ever would happen, but mm. they they're very nice people. And, and that's why we start the play. The old days are gone. The old days. That's why we start the play burning the book. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> judgmental Ireland is still alive and well, says this texter, to bring us crashing to earth, but nowhere near the scale of what it once was. <laughs> but if you wrote a book that identified local characters and you were a local yourself, you'd know about it. But uh, unlikely you'd be burnt and chased down the street, well, you would hope. I did live in, <laughs> I did live in Westmead in a house where they had, they had shot one of the Protestant landowners. Did you really? Yeah, on the lawn. Well, on that cheery note. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Gaiety Theatre, it's from the 7th to the 11th of November. Tickets are on sale now through Ticketmaster in the usual place. Michael Scott, thank you very much and good luck to it. And Mary thank Weldon, you. thank you and good morning to you. And 51551 is our text and Catherine Ryan Howard is with us live in studio. Good morning to you, Catherine. Good morning. Best-selling author and uh, uh, twisted mind, um, disturbed. Yep. You need help. Uh, <laughs> but welcome to the show nonetheless. Oh, by the way, I believe you you drove yourself here. And I this, drove myself here this, this is morning. Important. It was very tense. I passed my li- my test last week and okay. I've never oh, actually... Only last week? Only, literally last Tuesday. Gorgeous. Yeah, so I've never driven over here before. Um, it was all very exciting. Everyone loves a novice driver on the road, I've discovered, oh, right. especially a female one. Oh, so, right. What yeah, kind of you, lovely reaction are you getting? Oh, you know, just if you don't literally take off the second the light goes green, the they're coming for you. But um, I don't care. They can wait. So I'm alive. Uh, that's the main thing. Yes. All the cars outside in the car park are also uh, undamaged <laughs> and okay. hopefully that will remain that way when I leave. No scrapes. Uh, and so are people in your life now delighted because I presume you had to lean on people 
When no, actually, to... like I was quite independent. I would say my mother is very, very upset that I passed my test. So on the morning oh. of the test, you're not supposed to have like any stuff in your car. So I was having a clear out and I found uh, a bottle of holy water, which oh. I knew was the decoy bottle. She thought I was going to stop looking for the holy water after that. But there was another one <laughs> in the glove serious? box in case I took the first one out. <laughs> She's just, I know she's like on the Xanax thinking about me driving, yeah. driving around here. But uh, this is a woman, by the way, and she will love me saying this, who didn't pass a driving test because she got her license in the amnesty. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, now, already we have texts coming in. Please, when you're interviewing. Is it my mom? <laughs> Please, when you interview Catherine, don't talk about the trap. No spoilers. Just picked it up this morning. Great modern Irish novelist at the moment. Catherine is right up there with the best, says Graham. Thanks, so Graham. We're not allowed to talk about the book. What we so, talk about instead? Uh, I'm not. I'm not really sure now is, is, there, is there anything else of course maybe the real horror here is that you're you're a Cork woman trapped in, in Dublin that was really early doors for that <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that okay. yeah it, I actually mine. prefer living in Dublin but we, we, we won't we won't prefer living in Dublin but your heart is in Cork um, sure let's go with that uh, anyway the trap uh, is your brand new novel I finished it last night and uh, I was telling people here actually the other morning that I actually missed the super moon because I realised that um, oh, I'm in bed. Of all the things I thought you were going to say to me, <laughs> missing the supermoon was not on my list. Well, that's a big thing for me, <laughs> you know. Like I was excited about that tonight, but I couldn't switch this off. Um, so th- this could be your best yet, and I'm not the only person saying that. Lots of people are saying that. Um, well, you might as well tell us what it's about, because if, I fear if I go into it, I'm going to start um, shaking, curl up in a ball, and start weeping because you you, you don't make it easy for us. <laughs> Okay, so The Trap is essentially about Lucy, whose sister went missing about a year ago when the novel begins. And Lucy is in a place where the torment of not knowing what has happened to her sister has actually overtaken the grief of the loss, potentially. Um, So she's in a place where obsession is pushing her into a darkness that's going to make her do very silly things. And the question is, like, how far would you go if you just had to know? Um, And Lucy is perhaps willing to pay the ultimate price. She's playing bait for the man who took her sister in an effort to find out what happened. And dum the, dum dum, etc. Because the opening of the of the book, and this is not giving much away, Graham, uh, who's against. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's this heart stopping thing because the, this woman is out on her own, yep. hoping to bait her her sister's abductor. Yeah, and uh, I mean that's just it's just utterly terrifying. Yeah, but I'm nice, really. <laughs> <laughs> Are you just sitting chortling away at a time? <laughs> Laughing maniacally as I come up with it. And I really do. I really have a good old chuckle to myself when I do something really, really awful um, on the page. At my pink computer, by the way. Yeah. The computer's pink. So it's, it really it's ter- fits in. It's therapy, isn't it? Because we know, we know there's reality here. We know the crimes happen. And we know there's real people who've gone through this. But we're reading it as, as entertainment. I, I'm complicit in this. I have to say, why do we do it to ourselves? Well, I do think we're reading it as entertainment. But I think you know, more broadly, what is fiction for? And I think fiction is for helping us make sense of the world and yes. how to live. And I've never been able to prove this, but I'm convinced I once heard Ed O'Brien say, I write as a way to grieve for what I read in the headlines. Mm-hmm. And I think that I write as a way to kind of solve the mysteries in them. So fiction is a safe space where we can kind of 
give ourselves answers. We can make answers for ourselves. Yeah. And certainly as a woman, you know, you can write about these violent crimes and impose an order on them or bring people to justice if you want or, yeah. you know, but it's it's all at a safe distance. So it is, I suppose, therapeutic in a way. And uh, because women are the big consumers of crime fiction, aren't they? Well, they're the consumers, they, they buy all the books. And they basically. write most of them as well at this point. Well, they do, they do. <laughs> they officially do, actually. We were discussing this only the other week. Um, so is there something to do with we women feel like they're arming themselves uh, or equipping themselves somewhat for, for the, the, the big, bad, scary world? Yeah, I think there's an element of that. Um, I also think that, you know, you react to what you can relate to. And I think women have a really interesting relationship with fear that men don't, or let, let's say the majority of men, because, uh, you know, it depends. But like when men tend to write very scary crime novels, the fear, the things they're afraid of are quite outlandish. They're like a Hannibal Lecter or, yeah. you know, a chainsaw wielding maniac or I'm whatever. Stephen King novels. Which, you know. Yeah, like I'm thinking Thomas Harris, all that kind of thing. So women write about what I would say is much more realistic fears like mm-hmm the man you sleep beside turns out to have another life or your neighbour is actually a serial killer. You know, there's there's things that are much closer to home. And because women can relate to that, they're buying the books. And then I think it's, you know, it's not um, a crazy extrapolation to say because they're buying the books that the books by women are doing well and therefore women are writing crime and more women are writing crime and so on and so forth. So I think there's a lot going into it, but certainly I think it's to do with women's relationship with fear. Uh, and one of the things that's probably most terrifying about it is that we, I think we can sometimes cope reading scary things if it's set in America because yeah. we expect scary things to happen over there. Yeah. But when you put us in very familiar places, I mean, I, I'm not sure I could, could forgive you, actually. <laughs> uh, I'm feeling it? very attacked here. <laughs> yeah, 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 you should. <laughs> you miss the super you moon. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the super moon. I'm sitting there terrified. What are you I mean, yeah. it's scary because it's it's, you've set it in Ireland yeah. and into places that we know. Yeah. When I was growing up, I was reading all US crime fiction. Mm. Like I started with Patricia Cornwell and then I moved on to Mike Conley and Harlan Coben. And like, I really wanted to read those kinds of novels, but set here in places that I knew. And I remember being like so excited to discover a novel set in Dublin. I think it was, um, yeah. you know, one of the a medical thriller, actually. And... I just thought like, I wish, <laughs> I wish bad things happened in Ireland in fiction as well, uh, crime fiction. So I feel like I was kind of, that's why I set books here. And, you know, it is scary because like bad things do happen here too. And I certainly get messages from people who are like, I know that, that road that that thing happened on. That's and right. yeah, it just all adds to the uh We start to terror. look at it slightly uh, differently as well. Um, I look. How much of the book can we talk about without spoiling? Do you run into I, this I'll problem? I'll shout if you go. All right, well, it's just that the, because we meet all these uh, these characters. In actual fact, we should say that there is a bit of relief, isn't there? Because um, Angela. Well, tell us about Angela. Yeah, so Angela is a civilian in the guards. She works in the missing persons unit uh, because she has failed her physical competency test. I will say, Angela and I do have a long common. We both go to bed at night with great intentions of being like super healthy and energetic the following morning. And then when we wake up, we're like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. So that's why she didn't pass her physical competency test. But she is um, sort of pulling at a thread in the 
because it's not just Lucy's sister who's gone missing. We should say there's a number of, of women who've gone missing. Yeah. And she finds a kind of reluctant mentor, I would say, in Denise, who is a detective mm-hmm. um, who has worked one of these cases. So they kind of join forces to prove that maybe the official narrative about what happened to these women isn't actually correct, maybe. So it's it's, it's a character we, we root for a good bit. And I would hope so. There's, yeah. a, there's a bit of comedy there as well because she does treat herself. She feels like she's a bit of an idiot kind of thing yeah. at times, isn't yeah. she? And you're going, no, you're not an idiot, but also this kind of gas because yeah. we all feel that. They when feel I so started writing thrillers, my first editor said to me, you need to stop with the jokes, like people are dead. <laughs> so <laughs> every book I'm person. trying to put in like a little bit more, a little <laughs> yeah. bit more. Ignore that person's advice, thankfully. Uh, and then we meet another character and it gets quite chilling yeah. because we meet... I don't want to terrify you because we're only sitting a few feet apart but he is my favourite The Killer The Killer Yeah You love being and it's it's first person narrative Yeah I really enjoyed writing those chapters I don't know what that says about me I can't reveal <laughs> but, but there's because this killer is talking about really what talking he did. about and also yeah. talking about us and our reaction to um, how, how daft we are we think that people disappear off the face of the earth and yeah. all those kind of I mean that has always kind of bothered me that phrase she vanished off the face of the earth Um you know, she didn't. She went somewhere and someone took her. It's just that no one saw um, and no one can find where she is. And so this killer is, um, he. his wife loves true crime documentaries. She obviously does not know who or what she is really married to. So he sits on the couch with her pretending not to watch them. Hmm. Um, he pretends he's reading these really like heavy political tomes. Um, but he's actually kind of learning from Finch them. Fintan <laughs> Fintan O'Toole does get a mention in the book right, yes that's, that's one of the books it's not a spoiler um, I'd actually forgotten that I'd put that in I just looked at my shelf to see like you know pick a title and that came down yeah I really enjoyed the book Fintan the killer, the killer had a really good taste in he does uh, have excellent taste in non-fiction he really does but yeah. this is the scary because as you said the, the, the male writers are creating all these monsters which are easy to kind of go well they're, they're quite yeah. rare but this person's literally just sitting on a sofa with their wife I, I'm far more interested in ordinary monsters Mm -hmm. and I think like people expect to be able to identify a serial killer or a murderer on site but you know spoiler alert spoiler alert they look just like you and I like there's nothing about un- unless you're secretly a serial killer Oliver <laughs> well you never know I've always had my suspicions it'd be suspicions. a good cover wouldn't it it'd be a good cover I'd be, I'd be far too lazy I might make the plans yeah uh, it sounds like so much work it's it? a lot of work yeah a lot there's of work a lot, a lot of hassle. <laughs> that's why we don't do it <laughs> that's the only reason that is the, <laughs> the only reason uh, but it's the reality that's in here isn't it and um, are you worried about the fact that you're touching on the reality of people's lives I wouldn't say I'm worried about it. I think you have to be careful that you're not exploiting anything in the real world. But, you know, if we said we're not going to write about anything that really happened in crime fiction, you would basically be wiping out 95% of crime fiction. And what I find with readers is that oftentimes they think you're talking about something that's real but actually you're just being realistic so like to give you an example in one of my last books there was two uh, children who offended who were referred to as boy A and boy B and depending on what country my readers were in they were like oh that's that or that's that and I was like no it's just that's what offenders are called in the media yeah Yeah, so sometimes people are mistaking facts for you know, realism, I suppose but certainly like going back to what I said earlier there is a kind of therapy in like 
creating answers and creating a sort of certainty around something mm. when in real life there are, there is nothing like that. Yeah. So, so you're yeah. Re- creating a world that sort of reflects the one we know but also yeah, there's a comfort for us because it's not it's not real. Readers are not going to have any sort of reaction to something that is totally outlandish and nothing to do with reality. And like a few years ago there was uh, the Staunch Prize which made a big splash in the media and offered an award to the best as far as I remember, a crime novel written by a woman in which no woman was harmed. <laughs> and like, That's I'm still strange. laughing about it now yeah. because if you want to stick your head in the sand and pretend that violence does not happen to women, you know, good on you. But I will not be reading your novels. I want to read about the real world. <laughs> the real world. Uh, as a child, you were very interested in this uh, uh, real world. Disturbingly so, I would say. Yeah, well, <laughs> tell us, because you mentioned in the, in the afterword of the book and I was intrigued by this, uh, this dark history, <laughs> Catherine Ryan Howard. Everyone's going to be child. really afraid of me after this interview. <laughs> so when I was, um, let's pretend 11, could have been a bit sooner than that. Really? Um, I was the eldest and I had somehow wrangled carte blanche at my local video rental shop. The mm. glamorous sounding, but not glamorous in reality, Hollywood video in Grange in Cork. And I could just rent whatever I wanted. And I started off with like what I should have wanted, you know, sort of space camp and return to Oz and stuff like that. But I ran out of options pretty quick because I watched a lot of (laughs) everything. Watched everything. So I moved over to a section that was called True Life, which for reasons lost to me now, were filled with VHSs of made for American TV movies Ah. about famous crimes. And I went through them all like Menendez Brothers, Diane Downs, the Siege in Waco. Like I watched them all. And um, yeah. You you were just different. (laughs) My parents are getting an awful doing. Different from the other children. uh, (laughs) I was quiet and that's that's what mattered. You know, like it was entertaining me. You found something that really interested you. Yeah, like I don't know if I knew really what I was watching. Like Mm. I'm ashamed to admit how old I was when I realised Dirty Dancing wasn't about food poisoning. Um, (laughs) Although I will say if you watch it back and you think you keep food poisoning in mind, it tracks. The first time we see your obsessions in the kitchen. You're kind of, oh right. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, you were different from the other children. Uh, you, it, what really jumped out at me is you mentioned V. Yes. Because uh, like, oh, this was the thing that terrified me. Honestly, people were genuinely scared. Genuinely yeah. scared. Yeah. Um, if people don't remember it, it was an amazing alien invasion miniseries that had special effects like never seen before on TV. Mm-hmm. A lot of people pulling their faces off yes, to reveal a lizard. Yeah, they were and humanoids. They, yeah. Uh, yeah. You couldn't get enough of them peeling Good their own stuff. faces yeah. off. Yeah, and, and eating, eating live rats, I think, was another. Oh, yes, yeah. I've forgotten that bit. Just if you're having your breakfast at home, yeah. enjoy <laughs> that, Posh. Thanks for reminding me of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, like, writing is your, now your job, it's yeah. now your life. Uh, but you took a while, to, I don't say you took a while to get going, but you were sort of doing um, other things. You were doing everything but writing uh, yeah. in pursuit of your dream. Hence the taking a while to get going, yeah. yeah. I was obsessed with being a writer I would read all the books and I would go to all the workshops and I would tell everyone I was going to be a writer but I never actually did any writing which it turns out is a crucial part of the scheme so yeah I had some adventures I worked in Walt Disney World for a while and uh, I did yeah I did in Florida in Florida yeah but I want to state for the record I was not dressed up as anything I was a normal worker (laughs) behind a hotel desk I want to make that very clear you know normal obviously (laughs) normal asterisks (laughs) (laughs) Um, how do you mind yourself with, with all of these dark doings in your head 
I don't I don't need to because I'm getting it all out like on the page. Like okay. I don't I don't go to bed at night thinking about it. And as I said, you know, if I do come up with something like incredibly dark and chilling and scary, I have a little laugh because that satisfies me. I know someone is going to be um scared by it and I just want to scare people. I don't know. Like <laughs> I get a lot of messages saying, you know, I had to get out of bed and double check that I'd lock the door and I'm a nice person really, but that makes me happy. So, oh you you other people getting up to readers, check, check readers, the door. yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. we we do that. Uh, thank you very much for that. You're so welcome. Very, very that and the missing the supermoon is yeah. Very very, very <laughs> twisted. Um, the the first thing that you wrote, just to go back to that that process, because you you did all of the kind of seminars and, and and courses and things like that, didn't you? But it was the writing that you have to sit down and write the damn thing. Unfortunately, like that's the worst part of the whole thing is you do actually have to sit down and the write. start is the worst thing. Yeah. Oh, um, I would say every part of the writing process oh, right. is okay. the worst part. You yeah. hate it. I hate writing. I love having written. That's how I would put it. Yeah. <laughs> what about uh, days like today? Uh, are you do, do you do you like going out promoting it? Yeah. So our, we're having the launch this evening in oh. Hodges Figures. Very good. All welcome. Um, and that's the fun bit. Like that's when you get to go out into the real world. You get to put makeup on. I'm normally like greasy haired, coffee stained, <laughs> sweatpants, um, like a sort of golem creature normally. <laughs> okay. um, Very kind to yourself. Very good. So you look this, lovely today. Can I say yes? Well, you there thanks you very go. much. Yeah. I mean, they're just gonna have to believe you. But <laughs> like, <laughs> like you needed the compliment. <laughs> it's so hard on I washed my hair for you, Oliver. You should be. <laughs> <laughs> so did I. So did I. You don't see some of the days when there's no guest in this studio. Uh, <laughs> uh, Catherine is a tonic and is looking forward to reading the book. Says Carl. Absolutely love the trap. This is someone who already got a proof copy. I wonder, is this a friend or is this, it this a stalker? It could be, you know, one of our, well, it could be a stalker, but uh, it could be a lovely bookstagrammer or something like that. Fantastically written, dark and haunting. Looking forward to the signing in Cork on Saturday, says Lorna, who's in Cork. Where's the signing in? in? Waterstones, Patrick Street. 3pm on Saturday. Oh, that'll yeah. be a proud day now for them, for Mammy. All oh, the family be down there. Not that every other day isn't a proud day. For well, as I said, the day I passed my test, they weren't too happy. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, your guest sounds like she'd enjoy Death of a Bookseller by Alice Listen, Slater. Listen, I know Alice. I have read it. Absolutely adored it. All over this. I've just finished it. It's very her, says Marty. Um, but <laughs> Thanks, Marty. Thanks, Marty. <laughs> She's got there already. But look, I'll take your recommendation, Marty. How about that? Uh, so you know Alice. You, there, there's I a, do. There's a, is there a group of, um, of disturbed, twisted I call writers? us a gang. There's a, a, oh, there's a gang. Yeah, there's okay. a gang. Yeah. Who's who's in this gang? Um, I couldn't name all of them. Oh, but, whoa, um, that's even better. You know the usual suspects like Liz Nugent and Casey, um, Andrea Mara. Like there was a big crime writing festival a couple of weekends ago that I'm still recovering from. Oh. Um, and there was 15 of us there. Um, uh-huh. And that's not even all the Irish female crime writers. It's just the ones who happened to get to that festival. So, wow. yeah, we're taking over one day. We will charter a plane, I think, to that festival. Is there, <laughs> is there a, oh God, that would be good. Is there a WhatsApp group and all of that? There's several WhatsApp Se- groups, oh. but I can't tell you anything about them or I'd have to kill you. The names? Can't even say the names. The, I'll give you one, which was the name of the... Uh, I can't give you the names because they are all like in jokes and uh, you know things like that but I'll give you the name of the one we used for Harrogate which was the Irish murderesses Oh, that's a good 2023. one. Yeah, yeah it's not very you know politically not correct, but so much. I but I can it, see yeah. that's probably part of the whole group. I'd imagine. Yeah, and when you say recovering, it was a bit of a party. Uh, party it was time. like a hundred percent party. Oh, very very good. little books, a lot okay. of partying. <laughs> Um, someone's in a bookseller in Waterstones early this year 
Uh, definitely not uh, definitely not a stalker this is the person who got the proof copy of the book that come back to us so it's like a WhatsApp group in here as well so they came so back I'm really sorry for uh, referring to a stalker but they're, they're a bookseller okay they're, they're good people they're, they're the good people um, actually the last time you were in and you were chatting to Ryan yeah. you were talking about and all the lovely women that you mentioned who make a career and sometimes slightly dismissed yeah. uh, we're in Booker Prize time at the moment and you look particularly let's look at the safe let's go to the British writers on that list Yeah. and they're not best sellers yeah. There. So uh, where where are you feeling in that whole, you know, the literary, the, the haughty literary versus the... <laughs> uh, listen, I'm happy enough, right? Literary fiction and what we might call commercial or popular fiction are two different things. And I think it's kind of silly to say, like, let's treat all books the same or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But um, like I'm making a living and uh, people are reading my books. They and certainly are. Beyond that, I'm not, go- you're not going to draw me into saying anything bad <laughs> about the book or Well, nonsense. I tried, tried, but we've run out of time. The, the trap. Ask me after. I hope it's a big hit for you again, as no doubt it's going Thank to be. You. It's going to be a bestseller. I know you're probably nervous about it because we don't like to jinx things on you. But I wish you well. I really, really enjoyed it. Catherine Ryan Howard. Um, uh, very briefly, 56 Days is it going to be the movie. Is it coming out? It's it with happen? Amazon Studios. And if the oh. strike ever ends, something might oh, happen. The strike, of course, is the thing. <laughs> that, that'll have no doubt it'll come to an end as well. Listen, good luck. Enjoy your travels and happy driving, by the way, and safe driving to you. Well, I'll have the holy water. I'll be OK. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The Trap is out now in all good bookshops and some kind of rubbishy ones as well. Um, all but of it's it, Enjoy. <laughs> enjoy. Good morning, Baz Black. Welcome into studio with us this morning, live and in person. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Are you good form? Yeah, all good. You're out and about promoting promoting your latest thing. There's I am. So many things. You were in danger of being typecast as a bit of a tough guy, weren't you? Because of well, you tell us why. Yeah, um, you know, it's not really a danger. It's like uh, I don't mind being typecast, be any cast <laughs> in in this industry. But yeah, I do get the drug dealer and the bad guy quite a lot. And then as an artist. You know, you want to express more emotions than that sometimes and you can talk about it all day long, but going and showing casting directors and the industry um, something and that's by writing your own stuff. Yeah. Uh, you can show them a different different side of you that um, your image doesn't define you as an artist. Does it wear you out when people mention the tattoos straight off? Uh, a little bit, but I'm used to it, you know. But, it, you know, sometimes it can take 10 minutes to get past that barrier to get to... 10 minutes? To the re- <laughs> Depends. It's quicker at a checkout in a supermarket, but... Uh, oh, no. Yeah. What, what happens at a checkout? Uh, it's just... It, I, I kind of turn into robot mode, you know, with the answers because <laughs> I've been doing it for so long. And no, But what do they say you know, Just, you know, the usual, did it hurt? And are they everywhere is a, <laughs> is a common one, you know. Um, but yeah, I go into robot mode and I try and be as polite as possible as long as they're not crossing the line of you know being rude <laughs> that maybe does happen it does from time yeah to from time to time and is yeah. it related as well to the kind of society's views of tattoos uh, particularly tattoos on, on on the face and head because uh, you know kind of, it's kind of Hollywood has done that for us as well haven't they they've kind of yeah. associated with uh, gang bit. violence in America and all that a little bit of that and you know a little bit of stereotyping and you know as humans we judge aesthetically that's that's what we do it's our defence mechanism and I completely understand it but just because you judge and have an opinion doesn't mean that you have to always express it you know um, you know as your mother says you're nothing nice to say don't say <laughs> that's, anything that's really good advice that almost nobody takes yeah pretty much yeah especially in Ireland yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no I understand that. and and the generational thing that you know it was stigmatized to do with you know prison and all that side of it you know so that that's prevalent a little bit mm. as well and um, but at the end of the day it's just an art form and now you clearly love uh, body art and all that Are, is there on the flip side of that is there nearly a danger of becoming a bit too mainstream because there's a huge number 
Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, it's kind of taken the punk rock out of it. it <laughs> you know, a little bit, yeah. Um, the rebellious side is kind of mm. fading and wandering a little bit, especially with, you know, pop stars and footballers and yeah. um, celebrities. More and more, uh, it's becoming, you know, you're almost cooler if you don't have a tattoo these <laughs> days. Right. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I even saw about it in the last month, the London Metropolitan Police lifted its ban on tattoos. Uh, and airlines and so on as well. They've had to do it because of the sheer volume of people because they'd be just deleting uh, roughly a third of the population of prospective candidates. Exactly, yeah, yeah, that's what I say. They're going to have to start changing because so many people, you know, have them these days. Yeah. They'll have they'll have no workforce left. You mentioned punk because you, you, punk is a big thing in your life. Yeah, always has been. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose it goes with the rebelliousness, yeah. you know. Um, but no, always, always been fascinated with music um, ever since... Uh, if you ask my mother, I've been drumming since the age of three or four, you know, and always hung out with my cousins. Uh, they always had bands. And, and so I started really young and I've always been in bands for as, as far back as I can remember. But um, yeah. Was Rada a big punk scene? Uh, at one stage, yeah, it would have been. The music scene was amazing in Rada. It was always independent um, gigs going on. Amazing music scene. And sadly, that's kind of died away, you know, these yeah. days. And in Dublin, it's kind of had a resurgence of the last few years. You know, the, the punk gigs and the DIY style is coming back slowly but surely, which is nice to see. Speaking of the, the DIY style, doing it yourself, uh, you have written, directed and acted. Uh, you've done a couple of short films which have won awards and things, but this is a debut feature film. It's called Dublin Crust and it's coming to the cinemas. It's about punk, isn't it, essentially? It is, yeah. And I want to come later to the fascinating story how you managed to get your indie film a cinema release, which seems an almost impossible thing to achieve. But just tell us about Dublin Crust and, and the punk element. Tell us what the, the film is about. Yeah, well, Dublin Crust and like from the outset the important thing about the movie is you do not need to like punk to like the movie it's not about that it's a character story it's about yeah. retribution and so that was a really important element now having said that anybody that has seen it who wouldn't necessarily be into that style of music they have been converted <laughs> so yeah, they yeah. tell me you know because the music in it and uh, we got some amazing amazing independent irish artists which is great and yeah I love promoting that side of it as well. And even um, Killian Fitzgerald, who's an IFTA winner, he did the sound mix on the movie. And afterwards he was like, Baz, do you mind me asking how much did you pay for these bands? And I was like, why, what do you mean? He's like, they're huge, like they're amazing. And he just thought that they were these like massive bands, like, you know, from wow. America or whatever. Just and I was like, yeah. yeah, so I, I was like, I literally either toured with them or knew them personally. And so, yeah, the soundtrack, the soundtrack is amazing. Do you know, since um, you're talking about and the music is incredible in the film. And and I second that. Well done on getting these huge bands. <laughs> I'm gonna. I have to play a clip because it'll it just sets the scene really nicely for us and what we're talking about. So cool. uh, here's a little clip of the intro from Dublin Crust. That's only the second time I've heard that, and I'm like, I'm just kind of singing along to it already. You know, it's, it's catchy, catchy yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's catchy. Yeah. How like the the music is hugely important to the film. Yeah, it's massive, and it just it fits the scene so well. And we wrote two original songs that the band play throughout the film. 
Which is amazing because, you know, it is loosely based on a band that I was with for eight years. Um, so the singer Eddie and the guitar player Andy, um, they are the real guys from that band. Um, and then Joe Rooney joins us on bass, who was also prevalent in the music industry He's for a indeed. long time. Yeah, <laughs> It comes Joe um, shortly. <laughs> yeah, so writing the original songs, it, it was amazing. And it was like art imitating life because it is 10 years since we broke up with that band. Oh, right. And then going back into the studio and writing these songs with the guys and anybody who's seen the movies, you know, the natural element of it was really important, uh, especially when we're just around talking as a band because it is natural. It is us, this, you know, so that was really, really important to me. And those, um, those performances are really good, by the way, particularly uh, uh, particularly when the band are all coming together because, so your character is just out of, out of jail. Yeah. Out of prison, and and yeah. he wants to uh, uh, reunite this band. Uh, yeah. And the various things have gone on in their life and so on. Yeah. So basically, yeah, I, I played a drummer bonehead and um, I've just served five years in prison for mistakes that were made that you, you see in the movie why he, he ends up in prison. And well, I forgot to say it's a comedy, by the way. It is a comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> the opening yeah, scene is a very comical <laughs> crime that <laughs> yeah. lands him in prison. There's, there's a good mix of drama and comedy, there I suppose. Is, yeah. Yeah, so but yeah, I come out and um, I, I'm trying to reform the band and it was my fault, obviously, that the band split up and mm. Eddie the singer is having none of it. He hates me. And then it's his partner, Tracy, that's really the, the root of us getting back together so she's yeah. the instigator of it all so yeah it is a kind of a stereotypical getting the band back together and then retribution of character uh, but my character is a little bit shady and his intentions are not exactly pure and uh, and, yeah. and desperately sad moments in it. I mean you've got it all in there and the fun for an Irish audience is this is shot uh, around uh, around Dundalk and Drogheda as well and Drogheda and Dublin yeah and Dublin, yeah, yeah. yeah so um, <laughs> for our sins we did 32 locations in 7 days oh, uh, across 3 counties so this is when you get to the independent side of 7 Phil- days yeah it was, is the whole uh, thing shot in- yeah go away yeah we did two pickup scenes um, on two separate days after it so but yeah the primary shoot was seven days now it did not start out like that it started out as a six-week shoot (laughs) and then (laughs) the budget dwindled and you know that was the only way we could do it so it was just hell for letter getting in there we did two days straight at one point and you know you just it was the only way we could get it done (laughs) tempers free and i'm sure some curious incidents along the way when you're trying to set up shots and uh, in your locations and all that definitely yeah there was there was one location that we had um, a car sales room signed Mm. sealed delivered uh, it was a Sunday afternoon, 50 cast and crew standing outside. Uh, an hour went by, nobody showed up with the keys, ringing, emailing. Uh, luckily, my brother owns a print shop, WePrint in Andrada, so I rang him as I get the keys now. <laughs> we're using we're using your print shop. And actually, for the, the car lot, we were just sticking for sale signs on random people's cars in the parking lot. And they were just coming back being like, what? And I was like, for continuity, just give us a second. Let us get the shot, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, but that, that's, that's indie filmmaking, you wow. know, it's either... You, you sink or you swim, you know. Yeah. And it is very much the, the kind of punk culture of do it yourself and uh, don't sell out. Is that that's part of punk don't as well? Out. I've sold out with a cinema release. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How in the name of God did you do a seven day film? And it looks like a very accomplished film, by the way. You know, you hear something that's done on a small budget, seven days in Ireland, you're thinking, oh God, this is going to be a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously good enough to get a, a big screen release. How did you, did you do that? Yeah, um, you know, and... I think we get like a little bit of leniency with the style of the movie it is because it is about a punk band, you know. Yeah. So technically there is stuff, but it was literally, you know, set up, get the shot done and, and get out of there. And I have to say, like the, the local communities as regards to locations and letting us film in places like that, that really, really 
helped us, you know, get across the line. But yeah, like it was it's the usual independent filmmaker story that we went, we tried for all the funding. The script originally got into the, the Dublin Screen Writers uh, competition and I got to pitch to five of the production companies and three of them came back and they were interested. And But they were like, you can't make it for under a million. And I was like, cool, you're going to give me a million then? And they were yeah, like, no, yeah. go get the funding, come back to us. And so we tried everything and we, we filmed a, a pitch concept trailer, you know, trying to get the funding. So we just failed at all that. So we had to do it DIY. So mm-hmm. we had to raise the money ourselves and really think outside the box and, and raise raise the capital as much as we could. You're somebody who um, just gets things done, I'm getting the sense. Yeah. But just, with a lot of help from loved ones in your life. Definitely, yeah. Um, and I mean, like my wife, Emma Ray, who's the producer of the film and the editor as well. Um, and we have a production company, Sherlock Productions. So, you know, uh, there was... Tears Sh- shed Sherlock along the Sherlock, yeah, oh, yeah, Sherlock. Sherlock. <laughs> 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 Trying to explain that to anyone outside Ireland. I think we're saying Sherlock, you know, yeah, but it's yeah. ah, Sherlock. Um, yeah, so, you know, and, and just a team and it does take an army to get these things mm-hmm. done and you're relying on so many people and there's so much that goes on, you know, behind the scenes and the work and it's so easy to just watch the movie and, you know, be critical about some stuff but you've you just no idea what it takes just to, to get there. Uh, of you course, know? yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think people would be generous in that regard. So you mentioned the production companies kind of turned you down. So how, so, but it ends up in the cinema. How do you do it? Yeah, so, um, I mean, like getting the thing made w- was amazing. And then, um, you know, clips from the, the movie went viral over a million times and we uh, absolute guerrilla marketed the hell out of it. You yeah. know, it really, really went to town on it. And through that, then we got meetings with distributors that were interested in it. Um, but again, then we, we had to apply for completion funding. And we waited three months and we returned then for that, even though we had proof of purchase. Um, so basically, after so much turmoil, I just cut out all the middlemen and just went directly to the source. And I, like, this is the thing, like, I'm tenacious. I just don't give yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just went to straight to the head of Omniplex and <laughs> cheekily <laughs> reached out and I was like, listen, now, in fairness, he had already uh heard about the movie and he commented on the, the marketing the campaign market. that we'd done. So anyway, booked a meeting with their booking agent and, and sales reps and then we had a private screening for them and uh, they they loved it and we, yeah. we sealed the deal from and, there. Yeah. And they know their cinema. Yeah, so yeah. So it's getting a, a nationwide release? Yeah, just... so um, we're releasing on the 1st of September in uh, Omniplex and then on the 15th of September it's uh, Odeon. Oh, so, very good. Yeah, okay. so we're getting the, the two of them and then depending on how it, it it goes we'll just keep rolling that, that's it out and, well that's like know. every film yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, that's a great spread isn't it I mean yeah, it's great, yeah. I can't believe it <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing and I just I'm fascinated by this whole um, the do-it-yourself the tenacious idea behind punk because we know and I, I, how do you define punk and I don't mean as a musical style but as kind of like a community and what you're trying to say to the world yeah I mean like you know Punk for me, um, I'll tone it down because there is a line about punk for me in the movie, but there is a bit of swearing in it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's really for me, it's about um, being yourself, being an individual. And but at the same time, coming together with like minded people, you know, and yeah. not always being do do what you're you're told to do, you know. Okay, so, yes. yeah, a little bit of the rebellious side of it. And the know? authority. And the authority. And the yeah. conformity. Yeah, a little yeah. bit without going too, too far yeah, with it. And it has been kind of mainstreamed a little bit, hasn't it? It has a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But uh, like I said, the kind of the DIY side of it is coming back a little bit. That's now. really important. Uh, you mentioned Joe Rooney, who's the he's the bass player and he's a bass player. He, he was in his own punk band, wasn't he? Right? He was yeah. in the same part around roughly the northeast. Yeah, yeah. All around. And, you know, he still incorporates music into his stand up show. 
shows and yeah. and stuff like that. And you know, he plays um he plays Terence in the movie, and Terence is you know. Um, he's he's on the the wrong side of the law, shall we say? And he's he's quite a serious character, but uh, he reveled in in that fact, you know, because a lot of comedians they love to go to the the other side of it, yeah. you know. And basically, in the movie, everybody's terrified of Terence, and uh, but he was is absolute amazing to work with. He was a joy. Um, so yeah, we had we had a lot of fun, and then him just being back you know, playing music with the bands as well. He mm. was he was loving it. So it's a great diversity for Joe's portfolio from uh, Killing the Scully, Father Ted, yeah. Dublin Crust. Dublin Crust, yeah. cast Joe against type. Uh, good morning. Uh, this is this text for I'm the festival director for the Underground Cinema, which starts on September 8th to the 10th. Just listening to Baz Black. He's uh, he's got three. He's in sh- three short films this year, two features. We're opening with his feature film, Dublin Crust. He's an incredible, versatile actor and a true rising star, says Dave Byrne, festival director of the Underground Cinema. Yeah, Dave is like uh, an absolute champion of independent filmmaking and this is the 14th year and like my short films have been in in the festival for many yeah. years and he was one of the ones that encouraged me to go and, you know, make the feature and uh, made sure I was under no illusion how difficult it was, but yeah. um, he, he is absolutely a champion of independence. So the honour of actually opening the festival uh, is, is amazing. On the, it's the really age, cool. You know. uh, people will know you from, from two seasons of Kin. Yes. R- remind us. <laughs> your speaking yeah. of me, typecast. Uh, typecast, yeah, yeah. Jed Delaney, uh, drug dealer. Uh, yeah, all, like, you know, short-lived, small parts, but it was just amazing, uh, first of all, to get it the first season and then just to be asked back uh, was absolutely amazing. And uh, I have Peter McKenna to thank, thank for that. Uh, but an absolute joy to, to work on both seasons. Um Wish I had been more, but that's that's always <laughs> the way, you know. Yeah, yeah, Peter. Yeah, yeah. He actually, yeah. He spoiler alert. I die. Okay, in season two, but uh, he he was at a premiere of one of a movie that I was in, and the first thing he said to me is like, "I'm so sorry, Bas, because he killed me off." But look, these things but look have to still happen, memor- you know? uh, memorable turns. Uh, acting is obviously something you really, really enjoy. Um, were there opportunities or why did you kind of veer towards one path of life when you were growing up in Drada uh, rather than acting was that not an option? Yeah well I started in um, theatre a little bit when I was younger in Drada but Drada is the type of place where you get your head kicked in if they find out you're doing theatre <laughs> so I went over to the punk some bands some small parts of Drada <laughs> some small parts what means yeah, yeah. Yeah. as in every town as in every town yeah. um, so it was cooler to join the, the punk band and then martial arts was a big part of my life as well ah, so yes. kind of swayed into that and then um, which martial arts? Uh, jiu-jitsu okay. so yeah that takes that. a lot of time and effort I'd imagine a lot yeah I was on the European jiu-jitsu team and you know so it was uh, it was full time I was training like six days a week at one stage and yeah so, for, so Ireland obviously yeah yeah, yeah for Ireland, Ireland yeah so we travelled all over yeah you so. nearly br- brush past that because oh, just, just, <laughs> the world of past <laughs> black that's just like a minor <laughs> accomplishment just throw that in there yeah. um, so then yeah it was like true um I suppose the image then I started doing what you would call like alternative modeling and I did get roped into it. I had no intention of doing it. It was just the image. Um, and then I started getting asked what, to do music videos. Just like uh, an alternative looking person modeling. So it was the tattoo image. Anybody that looks different, it's like an alternative form than your stereotypical. Definitely. Modeling. You yeah. got the last end of that, <laughs> I would say. Alternative modeling. Everyone is tattooed yeah. at this stage. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, so, yeah. And then I got asked to do music videos and so reignited the acting bug through that uh, and I've been plugging plugging away ever since and then it was when I was in Bow Street um, training that it was the likes of like Sarah Hone uh, and Shimmy Marcus that encouraged me to write my, my own material and to cast myself in roles that I wouldn't necessarily be seen as you know so I have a lot 
I have a lot for them to, to thank. And you've uh, books as well. I do, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I released a book, yeah. Um, that was a bucket list thing. <laughs> I think it's a one and done thing, yeah. But um, the rights to that have been bought by a UK company to possibly make it into a, a movie or a TV series. Wow. So, what was that called? That was uh, a, that was it, a hit. Uh, uh, yeah, it did well. Yeah, it was called Ink Princess. It was like uh, fictionalized, but set in the tattoo tattoo world. So that, yeah, that was 2016. I think I released that. So you kind of got that tick, tick, tick off. Uh, yeah, and yeah, this yeah. is in a big screen movie tick. What's going to be next then? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the sequel I, to Dublin Crust. <laughs> I'd be scared for all of your friends for whatever yeah. project he decides to encounter encounter next. Um, so, so tell us where where are we going to see Dublin Crust and, and from when again? So it's going to be across the Omniplex chain, yeah, and on the from the first of September. Then we have a special screening in the Whale Theatre on the fourteenth in Greystones, and then on the fifteenth it's released in all the Odeon. and then on the eighth it's the Dublin Underground Film Festival. We're actually we're over in Hastings. On the 20th of this month, we're, we're in the festival there. We were in Swindon last week, uh, where we won Best Feature of the festival. Yes, congratulations. Just <laughs> you're, allowed to say, you're, yeah. allowed, you're allowed to be praising of yourself. You know. um, so, this is what you should say at the checkout the next time someone starts looking you up and down. And going, I actually have these awards. I've done this thing. Here's my book. Off. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, kindly <laughs> go and punk off, yeah. basically. <laughs> Uh, someone says, I met Baz and his fiance, your now wife, at the launch of Rosita Boland's book, uh, Generations, both motivated and hardworking. She and I feature in the book, hence our presence in the launch, says Una Hughes in oh, Balbriggan. And uh, because uh, you mentioned your wife, uh, motivated and hardworking would describe you. You're not allowed to praise yourself, obviously. You're refusing to do that. But your <laughs> wife, you can. Yes, uh, 100%. Yeah. Is she kind yeah. of running, aside from all the stuff we've talked about, nearly running out of time to even talk about all the things you do. Mm-hmm. But the, the tattoo parlours you have running, where, where are they? And Yeah. I've kind of stepped away from that now like where acting's the the, the prevalent thing in my life um, and then Emma's a tattoo artist and she owns um, a private studio in Dundalk um, so she's busy there uh, she's tattooing Tommy Tiernan a lot these days Very good. <laughs> and he talks about his tattoos a fair bit so yeah quite you a bit because yeah. you were on Tommy's show yeah yeah, and you obviously started a connection there yeah and then he was he was asking me about the tattoos and then I think it was like a, a three year gap before um, he bit the bullet his wife Yvonne booked him in for his birthday oh so, amazing and then Emma's like tattooing him once a month now <laughs> so he's fairly getting covered yeah he, he would have done he would have walked all the Boreens you see at the West of Ireland thinking about the tattoos and <laughs> yeah, Yvonne yeah, just, I'd Africa. imagine that's, yeah, what, yeah. that's what happened and is there no um, tattoo client uh, <laughs> confidentiality maybe uh, it, no, it'd be all right. It'd be grand. It's, it's uh, punk, for God's sake. It's yeah, punk. yeah. We almost had Tommy for the for the movie actually, and his, ah. his UK tour dates conflicted with our filming dates, so yeah. we m- might get him for the sequel. If uh, you're, if well, you're if you didn't, you know, turn it around in seven days at a very specific time, <laughs> yeah. you could, you know, for the for the next one, as we say. And there is kind of there, there's more to come. I'm sure we're going to see more. Listen, Baz Black, best of luck with everything. Absolute pleasure. Uh, it's Thanks. it's a whirlwind of accomplishments, and you should be very proud of yourself and proud of yourself in Drada, uh, where this year they are. And good luck. Dublin Cross the 1st of September.